I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following... The following... The following journey into comics. Journey into comics. The journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Network. 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 Production. Production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Voice of Survival Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I am your host, Nate, as the introduction said. You guys, I have no guest this week. Why don't you have a guest this week, Nate? What the fuck? Life is difficult, man. Sometimes it's hard to get people scheduled. There's a lot of people on my list to interview. Those people have been so difficult to get in the same room or get on Skype or whatever. And there's also a couple guests that I'm going to be bringing back that I want to make sure the episode goes perfect. I want to make sure there's plenty of time to do the episode and not rush it. So this week, I was like, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know what? I've done a celebrity wing of the Best of Survival. I've done like the musicians, people who are closest to me wing of the of the Best of Survival why not do from season one a look back at the Elite Four? I mean, minus myself, obviously, uh, you know, the OG version of this quote unquote Elite Four, the, the network kind of, I think it was Dick's idea. I don't know. I just get put in groups and I'm like, cool, fucking let's go. But um, he, he put us in this group and it was me, AP, Tyler, and himself. And it was like, you know, when things were kind of shifting and evolving in the network, and he said, hey, let's make sure to stay in tune with each other and communicate and stuff so that, you know, bullshit doesn't happen. So I thought, you know, why not today take a look back at those dudes and their journeys, because I've got all three of those guys, I've had them on The Voice of Survival. Uh, I'm pretty sure AP was episode 6, Dick was 10, Tyler was 23, I think. I'm pretty sure, actually, it was 23 last season he was deep in the season it was it was he was one of those people that was difficult to get locked in but I got it locked in you know uh but I thought you know before we look at those stories I wanted to talk about these people because and and obviously Nick Maxson is very much included in this and 
it's like, okay, if I'm going to start talking nice about everybody, I have to talk nice about every single person because there's so much great things to say about the people. I mean, listen, the Journey into Comics Network is not the Nate Phillips show featuring all his friends doing nominal work. Every single person that's on this network works their ass off for this network in little subtle ways and bigger ways in, you know, just always keeping up with the news and making sure that we see things as they happen. You know, hey, did you see this? I mean, AP's great about that. Sometimes I won't see news drop and he'll send me a fucking link. It's like, oh shit, how did I even miss that? You know, so really looking at the thing as a whole, AP's like the person I've known the longest and uh, his journey and mine are kind of entangled because he was a kid and I was a kid. And I mean, I was just a little bit older, obviously. So I had this cool job. He was the guy that came in and bought the video games. And and, and I think he just enjoyed the camaraderie of the team we had built at GameStop. And I mean, that, that was a very special thing. I always try to surround myself with people who are um, trying to be better and bigger than themselves. That doesn't always work. And sometimes there are failures. GameStop is a prime example of that failure where... I fucking shadiest motherfuckers around me and had no idea. But um, so anyways, uh, you know, AP is one of the guys who he always has fresh ideas. I mean, when Foodies Watching Movies wasn't even a show yet, he was like, hey, I want to do this movie show with you guys. And I have some ideas. And he starts like throwing ideas at us and had all these different names and segments. And I mean, he was just a dude that I, I mean, was good friends with who, you know, he didn't have to offer that at all. He didn't have to say any of those things. But his viewpoints and his ability to speak and his, um, you know, honestly, he might be loud and he might talk over people sometimes. He might cut people off in conversation. He's assertive, though, and he has strong points, and he wants to make sure those points are heard because usually they come from a very intelligent, very thought-out place. He's a very analytical, almost robotic human in that in that way i mean um ap is one of those dudes who uh you know he's he's like i i guess the thing is is he he's the picture perfect image of like america i guess but that that sounds like mean but that's not what i mean by that let me better explain just like he has two great parents and he got to be brought up in this cool environment and he has siblings, and they're cool, and, you know, then he got to go to college and do that thing, and he ran for political office. I had also had run for political office, so I respect the hell out of him for that, you know. I think he ran for political office, or I know I know his dad did, but I feel like he did too. Maybe in college, it was some sort of collegiate, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like he did. That's, it's been a long time ago, so, you know, uh, but then, like, he, he meets the woman of his dreams in college in a very romantic-y situation that is almost unbelievable. You know, it doesn't doesn't really make sense, uh, but it works out. And then they have an awesome, amazing wedding. Best food ever. Just want to say it again. Uh, but in all of that, I've never seen AP super pissed off. I've seen him very jubilant. I've seen him very focused. But I've never, ever, ever seen a crack in that man's um, ability to handle any situation. And that's that's saying something, man. I don't have that temperament. 
and he does. So I try to learn from that. You know, I try to center myself and not, uh, I, th- I guess you think out every situation. I mean, for Christ's sakes, AP did the Lafayette. Uh, we went and did uh, Fun for Funs, you know. Or it wasn't Fun for Funs. It was it was LafayCon. And, you know, he, I was almost home when he texts me, hey, where are you guys? We were almost home, like literally like two and a half minutes away. And he's like, we got stuck. I think it was in Rensselaer or something. And he just, he wasn't upset. And he was like, oh, no worries. We'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. It's cool. We were going to stay with you guys, but, you know, if you're already way past, because Rensselaer is like a 55-minute drive back from my house or an hour, somewhere, something like that. And also depending on traffic and, and all that shit. So so it was just like he was also only 40 minutes from Lafayette. So he's kind of like right dead in the middle, you know. So he's I, And I think he just thought, you know what, why not just have a night, nice night out with the, with the, with the lady? And, and, and they had a good time. So see, he turns a bad situation into a good situation. And his story is is great to listen to. I, I gave you kind of a general overview of that, but we're gonna play some moments here in a second from from AP's journey, and uh, let's go ahead and do that now. So I don't really recall when you and I like officially became friends. I feel like in some sort of weird fucking fever dream, like you just were around all of a sudden and at all of our stuff. And I was cool with it because you and I really kind of always clicked. We nerded out about a lot of the similar things. And you definitely get me laughing in a lot of hilarious situations. So I just remember, like, maybe I would say the first, like, really solid gem memory I would have is, like, probably playing Guitar Hero or Rock Band in our old apartment that you were at. Yeah, I... I definitely remember that. I remember you guys' place. It was like on, I think it was on Vermilion. It was like across from like, I think a bank or something. Or, yeah. If I remember right. Yeah, right by the Wendy's there. Yeah, I always remember because I always come in. I remember there being like a suit of armor like in the corner just kind of hanging out by your kitchen table. That, that was Eric's uh, man. And that and that's a weird thing to recount. We moved Eric out of his house and uh, he temporarily lived with us. And that was one of the coolest things. Like when we first got that place, it was my first apartment ever, you know, first time I'd ever moved away from home. And I was like, check this shit out. We got a fucking knight in shining armor, like hanging out in our kitchen. We don't have a table, but we got this fucking knight in shining armor. Right. I remember the place had also had like a ton of like, I feel like every time GameStop got like, we're going to like throw out the promotional material, just ended up at your place, like cardboard signs and posters and it just always ended up at your place. I feel like it's weird that you say that because that's very true. And actually, I have I've, I I have fond memories of like I had the blue dragon cut out. That was cool. We had that at our band practices for a while, and I think something happened. Water got on it or something and ruined it or whatever. And then actually, at my dad's house, still in the room that I grew up in, I actually have the Halo Three ODST standee, like in my wall. Like I put it onto and into my wall as like a permanent fixture. So oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I really liked that standee, but you know, AP, you were always this guy that like I said, you were always around. We were hanging out. We were being friendly. We were being friends with each other. Only a couple short years later after I started working at GameStop did I move away. And we decided we were going to do something else. I moved back to my dad's for a little bit. Got a job in Champaign. I didn't really see you communicate with you often. Facebook wasn't really huge yet. 
uh, you know, MySpace was dying and I wasn't spending a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. But we kind of kept, you know, in contact here and there. And then we kind of, I want to just like get right into the fat of this because fast forward, poof, to like 20, late 2014, early 2015, probably. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember um, Sarah was getting, like, a scrapbook together for, like, your birthday. Okay. I remember what birthday it was, but she had a scrapbook, and she was, like, reaching out to people to, like, give it, to, like, write a page of it or do something for a page of it to, like, give you as a surprise. Okay, cool. I don't know if you remember getting that gift. I do. It was awesome. It was... I don't remember what... I don't remember what... For those... I think that's the what began us kind of getting back in touch, because, you know, like, I went to college, and we kind of... And you had moved off, and we kind of, like, fell out of contact for a little bit. Yeah, man. We did fall out of contact a little bit, but then, like, ultimately we had, like, which was a really cool meeting. I will never, ever forget this. We met you in Elmhurst, Illinois. Uh, it was, like, February of 16, probably. Yes. Because it was around the time Deadpool had just recently come out. Like, maybe the yeah. end of February, last week or something. Yeah, I think it was like end of February, beginning of March. It was somewhere right in there. I remember still being pretty cold out, and we had met up. We both like I drove south, you guys drove north, and then we kind of met in the middle. Yeah, I just like went to that sushi place that was really good. Oh God, that place was delicious. We were catching up on life. It was like amazing because it was like this guy who I was friends with, who not by any you know like purposeful meaning had we fallen out of contact with and like the universe was like hey it's cool because we can actually make this happen he's a lot closer than you know and that meeting was awesome because we ate the sushi and then we went to the candy store oh i remember that man so they're rolling that fudge and oh, oh that, that it, looked delicious. the smells in that place were just incredible just yeah, that was great. Super incredible. And then after that, we went and saw Deadpool. It was my second viewing. I think Sarah V and I had seen it the Valentine's Day weekend. It dropped, maybe. And right. then when you and me and Sarah linked up, we saw it. And, and that theater was really cool because we were, like, maybe, what, one of five, three of five people there? Yeah, I think cause like we had to wait around for a little bit before the show started. I remember it was, like, this really, like, old-school theater very like straight out of like I feel like, like the seventies, which just had that kind of feel to it, and it had like this ornate art feel to it, like statues and the yeah, it, it was very it was very distinct. It doesn't look like all the cookie cutter like AMC's or IMAX theaters, all those ones that are very they all look the same no matter which one you go to. This one had a lot of character to it, and I felt like a theater like a one screen theater you'd go to like twenty years ago. It kind of is like the Lorraine in Hoopston, actually. Yes. It, it doesn't have the obviously not the same quality, but that place is really cool because it had like the ramp up, the really long hallway that like is a slowly elevated thing to where all the different screens are. I really love that place. I would love to go back. Yeah, uh, we'll have to we'll have to go there and actually maybe take maybe the rest of the foodies crew oh, and do yeah. that. That would be a fun day. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. We should definitely plan that. That would be a blast to go into this. Um, you know, Elmhurst is such a beautiful place, too. I just want to mention, like, I don't know if that's the vibe you got when you were, I don't know how many times you had been to Elmhurst. That was our first time at the yeah, time. Yeah, same here. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, these houses are really luxurious and beautiful, and the downtown is just really 
amazingly constructed. It looks really nice. I remember we didn't we like walk over to a Walgreens or some shit as well. Yeah, before? you were you were pop hunting at the time. Oh yeah! Wow, wow that that puts my perspective into perspective. Holy hell! Uh, it's weird because I I think that was during like the start of the great transition that kind of has me where I'm at now in life, just working like a dog, getting all this network stuff going on and whatnot. But uh, that night was really cool, and it was just like at that moment I was like, man, I'm so glad that I didn't lose a friend. Like poor boy, as I had always called you because I thought your last name was hilarious and. I don't really know also why that happened. I don't know if I was directly involved, but we just started calling you poor boy one day. It was my Xbox gamer tag. That's right. God, I knew it had to do something with something, but we loved it. And I just think that moniker has it stuck on to you for a long time on the journey into comics network. And then during foodie season one, you got like a, an unintentional rebrand <laughs> where now you're just your initials AP. <laughs> Right, and then it like caught up with like everyone else in the network only calls me AP now. Yeah, it's weird because and, and this is nothing personal to anybody. I just feel like a lot of the actual, not you included, obviously, a lot of the people in my life who I've known who were named Andrew were kind of shitty people. <laughs> so I don't want to call you that because it reminds me of shitty people. And I'm like, man, like poor boy, AP, whatever you want to call yourself. You're just such an awesome dude. I have to give you some sort of special moniker that lets you know that like you're on my level and I love it. Like you're a hilarious person and I like and I like having you around obviously. That's why I was like, "Hey, p- d- start a fucking show." Right. But, I, so but remember, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So I remember when you uh like you were reaching out cuz like I think also like our Facebook messaging between each other just started blowing up when you started like you brought up this idea about the uh, Foodies podcast that you were working on with Veronica and this other guy who I don't think I ever actually met. No, you didn't. And, it, and he his role quickly, quickly, quickly diminished just because of the person he is and his personality and whatnot. And it was hilarious because as soon as his like interest diminished, I still have it, by the way, in Dropbox. You can still see it. You sent a movie, I, like a movie show idea sheet. Like, you had come up with a bunch of ideas. A lot of the concepts I love, we need to actually start implementing some of them. If you look back and you're just like, wow, man, you had some great concepts. And it was like, man, this guy wants it. It was weird. You had like this, I don't know if you were just like having fun, wanted to be included in something different. I don't don't know what your motives were, but it was really neat because as soon as you started to really show interest in foodies, it was like we were ready for episode one. We had you on episode one. And we kind of were just getting the – doing podcasting is not just uh, – what's the best way to say this, AP? Uh, doing podcasting is not just something that you're automatically familiar with. It definitely takes some sort of changing of your own self-mind, I guess, to let yourself go to that place where you're open, free thought without worrying that the light is red. I know some people, as soon as the light gets red, their hands get shaky. They're like, oh, my gosh, people are going to hear what I'm saying. Uh, right. And I'm not super concerned with that. So as soon as you and me and V kind of started really meshing together, and we only did a couple episodes on that first season of Foodies, um, and we're going to definitely dive deeper into a lot of this stuff today, uh, just to let you know. Um, but just it just as like a kind of a start of the general over, overview, you doing Foodies led to me going, well, this guy knows enough to be able to hold his own, and I think you are an intelligent enough person and you have a 
bright perspective on things, uh, a very sharp perspective, if you will, that to have you be able to host your own show and maybe and you, you can make it whatever you want. I, I told you, I was like, look, if you're interested, make you the show whatever you want. And we're going to lead up to this because I want to know the real, the real genuine backstory behind this. Uh, you create the poll report for the Journey into Comics Network. That is an every Tuesday show. You are a lot, you know, you do an episode every week now, which is amazing. You went from a bi-weekly show, uncertain if you would last a few episodes, to now just flourishing, and it's awesome. But let's go all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning of this part of your story, man. Uh, let's go to the part of the story I don't know. We are friends in 2007, 2008, 2009-ish, and then you went off to college. I want you to really fill me in on your college years as a whole because I will say the AP poor boy I knew before you left for college to the guy who I'm friends with now, there's not a huge difference, I would say. Like, you, you're pretty much the same guy, um, but it seems you're a little bit more relaxed in your own skin. And I want to kind of talk about you being in college and kind of actually get the backstory because I don't know it. Yeah, um... So like I, like I said, I went to uh, Bradley University, which was in Peoria, which is, I guess, like two hours from Danville at the time. So it was, like, nice. I chose it because it was close enough to home that I could go home on, like, a weekend or a night if I really had to. But it's far enough away that I don't feel obligated to. It was something that, like, I thought going in, like, it's nice that I can be kind of my own person. I don't have to feel – because, like, if I went to, like, U of I or another school close to home, it would have made – more sense like financially and responsibly to like just commute and that point you're not really getting the college experience it'd be like the same as like going to DAC or something like that and I guess for those listeners we don't know DAC was the community college in Danville yeah and you get that you're shackled by your parents because you're not uh, spreading your wings for the first time away from them right and I thought that's something like everyone needs to do at some point like you really can't go from like living with your parents to like a wife or a partner. You can't really like jump from A to B. You need kind of that like space where you can kind of figure out who you are outside of everyone else in your life. Like who you are kind of as a whole and like getting a chance to like go off to college and be relatively unknown at first because I went to a college that not a lot of people from my high school went to. Like, there was, like, one person, he'd graduated, like, two years ahead of me. So we had no connections. So I remember, like, going to college and, like, parents dropping you off. And you have that, like, sense of, like, you almost you almost are, like, just sad because it just feels like a part of your life is ended. And, like, you no longer have, like, a safety net. And you're kind of, you're just, you feel on your own. And then, like, you go through and you have to, like, force yourself to make new friends. You can't rely on the friends you've had for years to kind of carry you through it. So it really forced you to kind of bring you out of your shell. And and then I made the decision uh, kind of during that whole like welcome week, that whole introduction to college to check out what this Greek like thing was about. I saw like flyers and there were like people uh, kind of walking around campus. So um, I said, I'm just going to do it. I might not like it, but I'll just say I did it. It's kind of something to like check out the list and went through. And there's a lot of people that are like, very stereotypical fraternity people, like the ones you see in like movies or on TV, like Animal House type guys that you run into, and you're like, no, nah, it's not really what I'm about. 
And then, like, I found a fraternity that was a lot like me at the time. It they had we had a lot of the same interest. It wasn't like super sporty guys. It wasn't like guys who only cared about like drinking and whatnot. It was it was a very good group of guys that I'd found, and I was like, sure, I'll try this out. If worst comes to worst, I don't like it. I can quit. It's not a huge deal. But when doing that, I kind of opened myself up because, like, with my pledge class, I ended up with like. 10 guys that I got to know really well and became friends with and some that I'm still friends with today, which is really nice to have, even though we've all kind of moved to other areas or somewhere up in the suburbs where I am now, somewhere different States. It's just kind of one of those things we can still keep in touch now, which has been nice. And it really kind of allowed me because you do things with that kind of group of guys that you wouldn't do if you're in that position on your own. Yeah, man, uh, it's funny because uh, you know, in in discovering you as a person a little bit deeper, uh, today finding out you were a part of a fraternity was really interesting, and I am curious to know. I'm guessing that you know you said it's not like Animal House; it wasn't really um, frat boy, if you will. You know, the bros, Chad Bro Chill Twenty One, if you will, uh, but. What was that experience like, joining a fraternity? Did you have an initiation? What's that like, if that's the case? I feel like there's maybe like a million questions loaded within this one microcosm of a subject, for me at least. Yeah, um, at least from my experience, kind of going through the fraternity, like the pledging process is not like what you'd see in like MLS. Like no one got nicknamed Flounder. There's not crazy haze or anything like that. It's just kind of a lot of the stuff was done just to get you to get to know all the other people in the house. Like we did like, uh, something called like interviews. So you would go, you'd have like a, like a composition notebook and you'd go and just interview the upperclassmen in the house, the people that weren't like in your immediate pledge class, you'd ask them questions like, where are you from? What's your major hobbies, interests, all that stuff. And just to kind of get to them, it's the whole idea behind that was that you just got to, not see these guys just upperclassmen and keep yourself closed off or just limited to your specific pledge class at the time. So it was something that like allowed you, and it was more or less like a facilitator to get you to keep conversing. And I know one thing I did because I'm a very, sometimes when I get into something that I know I need to do, I'll kind of go, just go, I'll go hard at it and I'll just like devote all my time and I'll rush and get it done. And then I'll kind of move on. And that was something, excuse me. That was something that kind of messed me up initially was that like, I got through like all of my interviews in like two weeks when some of the other guys in my pledge class took like month and a half or so. So I was just like, well, I got this done. And then I wasn't really talking to people. They're like, hey, you're supposed to keep talking to them after you get this thing checked off your list. But I was kind of like looking at it like a to-do list. I was just done, 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 done. Oh, well, I'm done now. All right, moving on. <laughs> It sounds to me like that was a point in your life where maybe the list of doing things was more a distraction for you uh, and less a, uh, you know, a thing that you like an ob- objective. It seems to me that that, w- that was almost like y- you knew as long as you stayed busy doing something, you weren't thinking about the changes you were going through in life as people were very sensitive creatures and change can drastically affect you. I mean, when we moved up to Highland uh, and I took my job at Horseshoe Casino, and I mean, that's everything changes because of that place. 
at the time, it was literally devastating to me. And it was a choice I made for myself. I decided I don't want to be stuck in central Illinois for the rest of my life. I want to start experiencing more of the world and made this decision with Sarah to move here. And doing that was the was the hardest thing. I was leaving my family behind. I was leaving relationships and friendships I had built for many, many years. I didn't know what the landscape was going to be like. I was literally thrusting myself into a whole new world of people who I didn't have any fucking clue about. And in turn, it was the greatest decision ever, and it shaped so much of my life that it's just like I'm grateful now. So to me, to just wrap back to you, it just really does seem like this was you laser-focused. Like I have a task. As long as I'm busy on the task, my brain doesn't have to wander. Right. It's one of those things that like I've self-diagnosed myself with this is that I have enthusiastic ADD. Oh, that's amazing. It's oh. like something like you find something you're really interested in and you just go – you just put all your energy and all your focus and all your time into completing that activity and then you kind of move on to the next thing and to the next thing. Those are something like I think all through college because I wanted to – I really wanted to kind of – stretch not like stretch myself, but like uh cause myself to grow in a way that i would use so i got involved with like different organizations on campus and it got to a point that like as i was like sort of ending my time in school i would know i could walk through campus and run into like a dozen or more people that i would know that none of them would know each other it was because i I'd, put myself in these different groups throughout campus that all had through different interests. Like I had my like engineering friends and I had like my friends from like religious stuff that I had done on campus and I was on student government and just like stuff like that that just allowed me to kind of get involved in different groups and see people from different backgrounds that I wouldn't meet if I had stuck to one thing or if I kind of just, just did it for the school. I wasn't into like the whole college atmosphere. Man, uh, that's cool. You kind of unintentionally position yourself as six degrees of Andrew Poor. You know, you got people on Bradley's campus who don't know each other, but by association they do because they know you. And um, that, that's interesting because uh, you did get busy with so many things. Did you notice yourself at a point like, wow, this is so outside of my comfort zone. When did I become this person? Yeah, I remember... I think the most interesting thing, I think that it didn't click to me until someone had said it. I was at uh, this kind of retreat thing for one of the organizations I was involved with. And I said to like someone that was in charge, because they're asking about like different personalities. I said, oh, I'm an introvert. And he looked at me like, no, no, you're not. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it hadn't clicked on me that like, because I was a lot more introverted in high school. And I think through everything I did in college, my kind of my personality, I became a lot more extroverted and kind of a lot more outgoing, at least in certain aspects of my life and when I feel comfortable with a group of people. And I become so comfortable with so many different groups that it kind of started altering my personality, so to speak. Interesting. I think that is super interesting. So what happens? I, You know, I guess the another part of the... The, the story with your college is what did you actually like go to major in? Yeah, I, uh, cause when I, throughout high school, I always liked math and science and I was in this pre-engineering program that Danville high school was implementing right as I went into uh, high school. So I was like, okay, I want to pursue engineering. It sounds like something I would be good at. 
I'm good at these uh, these subjects in high school. And it was kind of just narrowing it down to what it was that I would, because there's a ton of different engineering fields in some schools that are more strictly engineering have dozens and dozens of fields you can choose from. But I chose mechanical engineering, which was, I feel like the broadest of the field because you can take that major and you can focus on design. You can work in like biomedical stuff. You can work in like nuclear energy and all. there's a bunch of different stuff you can do. You're not tied to like civil engineers typically do structures and buildings and all that stuff or electrical is all electronics and computers and all that. So it was just something I felt that was had like the broadest and the most opportunities. And it was something that was nice because I've always liked the design aspect of engineering more than like working with like engines. It's always fun. I've always liked to see something that I can bring together from an idea to something tangible. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Huh, it's really cool. It sounds like uh, deciding that you wanted to get your degree in uh, mechanical engineering was essentially like you deciding to take the jack-of-all-trades degree for what you wanted your field to be so that you had the ability to kind of swing open any door you wanted and walk through that bitch. because you're a very smart dude. I mean, genuinely, you are a very intelligent mind. So to, to say that you design and do things now with your job, and, and we'll get to that in a bit, it's just it, it is just baffling. So at what point in college, while you're getting this, mechan- this mechanical engineering degree, do you decide that radio is a thing for you? Because we, we, we've not even wrapped to that first question yet of where the, the original Poor Rapport version 1.0 comes from. How, how do you get involved in radio? It's just right now in your story, I'm very confused. Yeah, um... It was, it was another one of those things that, like, it sounded interesting. Maybe I'll give it a shot kind of thing. It was one of those, like, I saw, I think I had a friend or somebody I knew that had, like, a show also on the radio, uh, on the campus radio, which is, like, I can walk there from my from my dorm in, like, five minutes kind of thing. And it was, uh, I think him and his buddy did, like, a sports talk radio. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Do they have, like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, they run... 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can lock in an hour or a half hour slot or whatever you feel comfortable doing. And all they ask is that you, like, even if you don't show up, like if you have something comes up, there's a, uh, there's a setup that like, if the like clock hits your showtime, like you turn off this, like not quite music, but it's like preset music that'll play on their station to fill all the gaps from all the shows. Okay. Just there's never dead air between everything. Makes sense, yeah. So I remember just, um, I was like, oh, that would be fun. Just to kind of, something that I could say I've done. It's like, because I did like, I did, uh, I've done, been on like the radio before for things I did like growing up, like through theater and so like that. I know we'll talk, kind of talk about that later. But um, when I found, I was like, so I just like kind of emailed the person that was in charge of, um, the broadcasting and like having all the the people you, the original contact you with like what times they have available, what time you'd be interested in, and like they kind of give you like free range. Like you get like an orientation that shows you like how to use the board, and here's the microphone, here's the like here's the door code to access the like the the office that all the equipment's in. 
here's like a bunch of music you can choose from. You can bring your computer and play whatever you want off of that. So it was one of those shows like I brought, like I kind of did some like pre-planning and I thought of something like, it was the same reason that came up with the show, The Poor Report. Now, um, I liked the TV show, The Colbert Report. I liked that both of our names kind of have that, that or sound. And, because uh, I was like, oh, it's like, Poor report. It rhymes. It's in sequence. It sounds interesting. I remember I actually got to use this when I started doing those uh, special episodes. At one point, it was going to be called just the report, but with my name instead of like the P O R T part. But I like I looked at it. And I just didn't like how it looked. I don't think people would know how to pronounce it. And I feel like I'd spend more time explaining if that was my main show than if I just did the poor report. So like I I think I came up with the name pretty early on because i was i think i spent like, a couple days trying to like think of what to call the show and like I, I wanted something that was unique to me and not like oh who does that show i wanted there to be like no question going in because if i was if it was like the report or the report tonight no one knows anyone can host that show but the poor report has to be me or at least someone with my name See, you're good at marketing. You were thinking ahead. That must have been a nerve-wracking thing. Like, you decide, fuck it, I'll try radio, whatever, and then now you kind of have put an unnecessary stress on your... That is kind of your, like, college years, is that you just put yourself in these situations consistently, it seems. So, how did the first show doing the original version of Poor Rapport go? Which, by the way, predates Journey into Comics by a couple years. <laughs> yeah, it um I'm trying to think how I think I remember just sitting there like before I played I think I came up with like a handful of songs that I liked that I was like, oh this would be good. I think I just had them already on my computer as just songs I normally listen to. But there's not really restrictions on what you could or couldn't play. Like you couldn't play like you could play explicit music, you could play whatever. There wasn't as much restriction because it was a campus radio. It wasn't like like the main stations for the city. So it wasn't something like no one's just going to like happen and just stumble upon your station. Okay. And, and I mean, I guess we had like, we had a, the website allowed streaming. So like you could listen to that. They had like a live stream that you could like tap into from your computer at home or whatever. So that had more opportunities, but it wasn't something like you wouldn't, it, there was very few restrictions on it. It was a lot more free form, which is, I think it's just a lot of college campuses are, they're not, they don't try to restrict you and kind especially in that kind of medium where you're it's kind of putting yourself out there to begin with so i remember kind of being overwhelmed because like you're just sitting by yourself in a room that's I'm trying to think of a good size comparison because it has all like the sound dampening foam insulation you could stare at like a rack of like old cassette tapes and cds and records and I feel like you're in a room that, because it was a, the building where all these offices were was a converted dorm. So they're about the size of a dorm room, which aren't particularly big to begin with. You kind of open the door and there's the, the main desk with the board and everything on it and the microphone. And I remember like what you'd said, like when we started talking, like when that red light comes on, there's that initial anxiousness that like what I'm saying is out there now. Like there's no taking it back, especially with like radio. You can't just like stop edit it, put it back out there. It's not something you can do. Radio is very, once you say it, it's out there. You could 
say the worst thing and there's no taking it back. Yeah, what was that like for you doing like live radio from the jump? It was, I think, a little overwhelming at first until I kind of got to the point where realizing that it was, since I, w- I didn't have a co-host, I didn't have a guest, it was just me by myself in a room. I just, I almost like I was just conversing like, who, like I was talking to someone on the other end that whoever they are cares about what I have to say. So I kind of kept everything light and easygoing and I played a lot of music. And there's sometimes like where you wouldn't really have anything too exciting to say between songs. You kind of, you'd come back and you'd say that was this song by this band. Uh, one of my favorites, get like a short little bit about that. And then, now coming up next, we're doing this song. I, don't, I cannot remember any of the songs I played. I remember at one. I remember I did a. I had a Valentine's Day episode, and I found just a ton of different love songs and just played those with like maybe like one minute gap of me talking between them. Interesting. <laughs> was that dedicated to anyone at the time, or was that just like a Valentine's Day episode you kind of had to throw together because it was Valentine's Day and you had the slot? Yeah, I had. I, I had no, I wasn't interested in anyone at that time. It was still, I think I was getting over someone and I just kind of wanted to not really think about it. So I, that's why I just kind of kept it all about the music. I didn't really want to feel like talking, didn't want to do like dealing with anyone about around this show or, or like around the music. I was like, just the music today. I'm not feeling like giving a speech or talking about Valentine's Day in any way whatsoever. All right. So I'm going to kind of jump around here. I want to, I want to kind of future trip. When the last episode of your show that you were doing for this local college radio station happens, what was that like? Did you remember? I mean, were you aware going in like, this is it. It's the last time I'm going to do this. Last time the poor rapport is going to be a thing. I don't think I knew at the time it was going to be my last episode. It was just the last one for the school year. Like, come like end of May, like, Finals are happening. Classes are winding down. The network's not really, or like the the radio station's not really going to be a, a thing over the summer. It kind of just runs on its own. There's not a whole lot going on there because obviously there's no students around. So I remember like, I, I think I remember signing off for the last time that year. I think I said like, uh, I'll be back next year because it was like the, my last year was like, I did it my, I did a five years at Bradley for my degree just because engineering takes that long. And it was the end of my, I guess, my first senior year, so to speak. So I remember like signing off, and I was like, I'll be back next year at a, maybe at a new time, maybe on a new day. And then kind of signed off. And I, I never went back to it that fall. It was kind of one of those things that like college really got in the way. Like that last year, I was busy with my senior project and everything else. And it was just, I didn't have the time to commit to a show. Like my last year at Bradley was a lot of refocusing my time and kind of, I had kind of stretched myself in so many ways at one point I needed to kind of contract to focus on like doing what I came to the school to do, which was work on my studies, get my degree, finish all that up. And my senior project took countless hours on top of my already pretty extensive schoolwork. So it just I didn't have a lot of time to be as involved as I had been all my previous years at the school. 
It's crazy. And then to think that many years later, we would sit down and discuss bringing your show back in a totally different format, obviously. It's funny to me because I guess I didn't realize how much music was involved in that show versus what your show is now and how that's like almost a total departure because it's not like on that show you were covering a lot of news topics. Plus, it was in like kind of the golden years of the USA. It wasn't, we weren't uh, constantly at someone's throat, <laughs> so to speak. Right. I think like the, like I think right when I did it, it would have been you know, right after Obama. It was during the end of Obama's first term, going into his second, was when I was doing that show. So yeah, it was definitely in a pretty good time period. Yeah. So what? Definitely probably, probably wouldn't have been a lot of political news or any news like that to really talk about. It was kind of business as usual. Yeah. Well. Well said. So I guess the next logical question in all of this is, while you're in school you meet someone who is very important to you. And here's a really interesting fact. I know very little about this person, so I'm going to let you take me to where you guys met, how this all started, you know, kind of guide me through, because this is the next thing that is happening in your college years. You're meeting a very important person in your in your time stream. Right. And I kind of I actually ended up meeting this person while I was still doing my show, it was during that like late spring um, that I had met her. But I'll kind of I'll have to go back to kind of how all this stuff had to fall into place to make even meeting this person happen. A story so of goes, fate. I love it. Yeah. So this goes back to actually it goes back to my freshman year. So um, which is interesting because this person's three years younger than me. So when I was a freshman, they weren't even in college yet. So it's, it's very interesting. So when I was a freshman in the dorm, I had signed up, there was an activities fair. That's what they usually do as freshmen where like all these organizations have tables set up in the, uh, in the main quad and you go through and you pick up flyers and you sign, um, you, you sign your name, put your email down to like get more information about the clubs. You kind of go to ones that sound interesting. So one of the clubs I signed up for, they came by like two of the people involved had came by to talk to me about it, and I started. Uh, I ended up going to that organization, trying to get to know those people, and um, those girls happened to be uh, in a sorority. And so by the time I'd gone Greek, and there was this whole thing that they do on uh, some, at least on my college campus, was that guys can go essentially be bus boys at a sorority house, so like. Because sorority houses, unlike fraternity houses, have their like lunches and dinners prepared for them. Like when you live in that house, like you have essentially have a meal plan you pay for, and you get like um, breakfast food available, and then you get like lunch and dinner made by the cook or whoever is in charge of doing that. But since obviously they don't have like a staff that they hire to go in and like do dishes and put food away and all that, they have fraternity guys come do that. And they do that in exchange for you get a free meal, and then you sit and talk with. Uh, the girls during lunch and dinner, you do like a few meals a week for that. So these two girls I'd met my freshman year after I had joined my fraternity and towards the end of that school, like, Hey, um, would you be interested in doing this? So I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds like fun. Sounds like a way to save money, get to know some more people. So I had agreed to do that. So, um, and I ended up doing being a houseboy is what it was called at the sorority house for the rest of my time at Bradley. So starting with my sophomore year and going until the, I graduated. 
so I had been a fixture there and I'd been like the longest serving houseboy there by the time I had met this person. So it was kind of one of those things that if I didn't sign up for that club at the activities fair my freshman year, wouldn't have met those girls. The girls wouldn't have uh, asked me to, if I was interested in doing this and I wouldn't have done it and enjoyed it and stuck with it for a few years. I would probably have never met this person. So it was kind of nice because that, um, because this person, when she was a freshman, towards the end of that career, she got the position of house manager at her sorority, which is like you're in charge of like working with the house boys and doing stuff for the house and scheduling. So like she reached out to me via email. I think I still have this email somewhere. I don't. I'm bad about deleting emails. So somewhere buried in my old email account, there's this email that's like, "Hey, uh, my name is Liz." I'm the house manager, uh, like send me your availability so I can find like three or four meals for you to work during the week. And I had like sent an email back and it was very responsive and, and it was just, just, just like a, and anyone else that's like sent me an email. And then what ended up happening, it's kind of a interesting course of events, which is a little weird to talk about now, but I ended up kind of dating her roommate, which oh, is okay. It didn't. It didn't work out. Like we were just very different people. But like, I think we we met through some things. So we like we went on like a couple of dates, and it really wasn't going anywhere. And she was actually kind of dating someone in my fraternity. So like we had both matched up close, but not close enough to the people that we were meant to be with, which was pretty interesting. And like I remember there was a whole thing of uh, uh, she like things with her and the guy weren't really working out and she was coming to me cause she's, I got to know me over the course of that year. And I was kind of more of like the friend that she could talk to and I would give advice. Cause I'm a very like supportive person to my friends when they're like going through some problems. That was kind of how I was. And we had, we had talked and like, then like the school year ended, they had ended and all that. And then like over the summer, we were just kind of casually talking back and forth and, Cause we both like, she lived up in the Chicago suburbs and I was living in Danville over the summer between the school years. Cause I had like an internship. So we had talked and over the summer we started to get to know each other a lot better and getting that kind of each other's histories. And I started finding myself that I was really liking this girl. And I remember, I don't know. We didn't, we didn't really get in a fight, but I think something that I said or something got misconstrued and we had, like a uh, it's like a small falling out over the summer we were talking. And I remember I wrote up this whole letter that was um, like basically saying like how much I've enjoyed getting to know you uh, this year. And I'm kind of I fall I I'm starting to like you. And I'd like to see kind of where this goes. And like I sent a letter and I was like basically like if you're not interested, I completely understand. If this turns you off, so be it. But it's better to like take risks then forever be friend zoned or something like that. And I sent it and then she read it and like we talked about it and like she had agreed with me. And I guess the reason like she got mad was she thought that I wasn't interested or this whole thing. We were still both pretty young back then. So it kind of went like, we didn't want to like start dating while we aren't actually seeing each other in person. We're just like talking on the phone and texting and, 
so like we waited till we got back in the in the fall and we started uh, going on dates. I think I remember actually before we went to school, I drove up from Danville to her place, like her parents' house, which was like three and a half hours. Uh-huh. I drove up on a, so I drove up on like a Friday night. We got uh, dinner. Like we watched the movie Case 39, which I don't know if you've ever seen it. Never seen it. Uh, it's a like a horror movie with a, like a young Bradley Cooper and I can't remember the actress's name, but it's like involves a girl that's adopted and people all these like all their fears on. It's definitely not a first date movie, but we both really enjoyed it and it was a good date. And then like obviously I'm I was like twenty was it I was twenty two and like she was nineteen. So like end of the day I just drove my brother was still living he was living in like I think Naperville at the time. So like I drove to his place, spent the night, and then drove back in the morning. Like I, I obviously I couldn't sleep over. That's not a thing that happens after a first date. Yeah. Uh, Moving a little quick. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a little ridiculous. And her parents would not have been okay with that. They were still uncertain why like their technically still teenage daughter was talking to a guy of drinking age who oh, was God. like a senior at school. It was definitely, but like it took them to like get to know me and realize like, oh, he's not who we thought he was going to be based on like pure details about like my age, year in school, all that. Like outside of those details, they got to get to know me and I was like, Oh, he's a really nice guy. And like, it wasn't a big deal. So that's like, we're going to, um, so as we get back, we started dating when we got back to school and then we just, it kind of just often that we had a year in school where we were both together and then I had graduated. So I went back to Danville and she still had, uh, I think it was two, yeah, two more years at school. So we had to do the long distance thing. So I was shuttling to Peoria for like every like couple weeks for like the weekend and stuff and all like the big stuff that she had like in her sorority, like formals and like date parties and stuff like that. So we did the long distance thing for a couple of years. We had to do just a lot of the phone calls and texting. And it's actually a funny story. Like I didn't have texting when we started like talking. Like I remember I racked up a, like an $80 phone bill because I was sending texts and it's like 10 cents a text. Oh no. So, and like I was still on my parents' plans. So my dad got the bill and that was like, all right, we're going unlimited texting. I paid him for whatever the extra was and then it was all fine. But I remember like, I remember her kind of freaking out because we, because of the bill and she wanted to make sure that like my parents liked her and this whole thing. And we're both very kind of watchful of what people think. We don't like people to be mad at us. And it's kind of one of the things we have in common. So we start like, as like we're going through the whole long distance things. Um, Cause I was stuck at, um, because a scholarship I got while I was at Bradley, they paid for a nice chunk of my tuition in exchange for two years of working in like Vermilion County. So I got a job at Watchfire and I was working there just to kind of fulfill my commitment, even though it was something that was kind of, I was kind of overqualified for because it was essentially um, like installation, electronic based tech support. So it was a lot of time I had a headset on, I was doing 
phone communication. I was going through people's computers to kind of solve problems for them. But I had a mechanical engineering degree. It really wasn't something that, like, I saw myself doing. So, like, I was paid pretty well for the level of stuff I was doing, but it, it wasn't I wasn't I wasn't challenged. I wasn't really doing what I was went to school for. So kind of as soon as my two year commitment up, I started like shooting out job applications and it made sense that since Liz was gonna be going back home after she had graduated until like she found a job and stuff that it made sense to look in the suburbs. So I started looking around and I got I got an interview um, for a company uh, up in the suburbs and I drove up there, thought I had a good interview. It didn't end up going well. Like two weeks later, I had uh, another interview for the job I currently have. And I remember getting along really well with the guys in the interview and we had some negotiations and everything worked out. And then like, basically I signed like my agreement to take the job and I had two weeks to take my whole life and move it three and a half hours away. Man, just to think back to just everything AP said, that interview, to, to have a little insight, I was super nervous early on in doing this interview thing. I had one, like, quote-unquote, um, you know, um, noter, like well-recognized person under my belt doing the interview with Josh Richmond. But... Honestly, all my friends and all the people on the network were kind of guinea pigs. Sarah, Veronica, Brando, uh, you know, AP, Dick. We're, we're going to go ahead and talk about Dick now uh, because he is my, like, bonded podcast brother. Because this is a guy who, when I met Dick... I will I will never ever ever forget the first first time and he probably doesn't even really remember but Brando was like hey you're going to come over to Mike's house we're going to hang out we're going to have a good time we're going to do this fucking blind food taste test that I won I'm just going to say it again for the record since it never saw the light of the footage never aired I successfully won the blind taste test challenge cuz I know my fast food food I guess is the best way to say that all came down to the uh, nuggets, I think. I, th- I can't even remember at this point. I mean, there was lost footage, and who knows? Who knows if that'll ever see the light of day. Anyways, back to Dick. So that was the day. So I go over to this guy's house, Mike's house, and Nick Torres is there. Brando's there. Mike's there. Uh, I think Joanna was there, but she wasn't downstairs or whatever. I think that might have been it. I don't think Caitlin was there. Maybe she was. I, don't, I, I, I genuinely cannot remember. So... But Dick was there, and like he was only there for five minutes. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna go to the vault." Or something. He said something. I don't. He said he was going somewhere, probably to the vault or to somewhere. Is it you know whatever he he was doing at the time? Girl, Doom Room show could have been anything. And he was only there for a few minutes, and I was like, "Damn, that fucking homie just bounced on us." I thought he was gonna hang out and be cool with the rest of us and like try this food. That was gonna. That, that's what I thought we were all doing, and. Usually when Brando had people over, it was like they were staying to hang out. And at this point, I knew Dick very loosely because he was on the one singular episode, Surge and Crispy M&M's Journey into Comics, Brando cast 38, I think. It's hardcore memory there. but um, so And they, they had had the fuck up and 
Dick had said he had mics that he didn't have that didn't work with what Brando had, so they only got to use one mic to record a podcast. And you can tell, but you know what? That's the early days. It's a wild, wild west of us doing this. You know, this is the very, very beginnings of this network. So uh, Dick being on that episode, though, and then I met him in real life, and it was like kind of just like, okay. And then I think we became Facebook friends shortly thereafter. And it was odd because I'm like looking at this guy and I'm like, he's a younger version of exactly me. Like I see exactly me and a lot of him as a person because I see things like the guitars he liked to play, the music he loved to listen to, the uh, the way he is in an intense situation that he can just kind of go with the flow and bounce with. He tries to stay energetic and upbeat. I mean the life of the party, but also kind of likes to be reserved and quiet, you know? So there was a lot of things in Dick that I saw and that's saying something, I guess, but, uh, it just sounded awkward. Uh, but you know, knowing Dick and knowing, uh, his journey, it was really, it's really special to me because we bonded even more since like the, the early days and stuff. And it's like, Dick was on episode 50 of Journey into Comics. Then the Metal Cast 2 happened where it was revealed that there was going to be a show called Podcastrophy with these guys coming out. And it never happened for a year, and I was really bummed because I loved the name, and I thought about it often. I literally thought about Podcastrophy all the fucking time, and it was not a real thing, and I wanted it so badly to be a real thing. And then, you know, I officiated Dick and Miranda's wedding, and I've been there for all kinds of moments with them, and... Uh, we've done different kinds of uh, cons together and experiences together. Dick has come to several Walk Among Us shows. I mean, we are we're very bonded as brothers, you know. And I, you know, as as weird as it is, he's like one of my best friends who I don't get to see or spend a ton of time with. We don't even really get to talk all the time. I mean, shit's just so crazily busy, you know. So. One thing I really like about Dick is his tenacity. And if he sets his mind to something, he's going to do it. And he's one of the literally, I mean, and 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 he's he's lucky in this regard. He's one of the only people that has had to do very few solo podcasts on this network. Um, he, I mean, and in running your own show, and, you know, he does have co-hosts and Tyler and Matt, but running your own show sometimes man it's hard right now i'm living proof that it's hard sometimes you don't get people locked in when you want them locked in as hard as you try things fall through and dick always has people and he always can just be like hey i called this guy up who wants to be on the show he doesn't really have to do a lot of planning he just has a wide array of people that he knows because he is kind of that social butterfly he is that person that just likes to go out and talk to everybody but he also put his nose to the grind. There are like 91 episodes or 90 episodes in on that podcast. He spawned off a couple spinoff podcasts, uh, Happy Fun Metal Time with Dick and Nick. And, uh, you know, he did uh, the Game of King Chairs. Shout out to me for naming that, I guess, is the way to say that because I'm an idiot. But, um, well, I guess my failure caused it to be named. But that is aside the point, you know, Dick is again one of those kind of guys who um he's he really believes in himself and uh let's go ahead and take a listen to his journey right now. Back it up a little bit. Where are you from? <laughs> I am from well I was raised in I born in Lafayette. That's major hospitals. 
born or so basically born and raised in Delphi, Indiana. Saint Elizabeth. Uh, no, I was home hospital before they uh, I was they tore it down a few years ago. But yeah, home hospital. Okay, cool. Well, uh, so you're born what year? Ninety. Ninety. So the same age as my little sister. Um, and you're a weird. So my sister is March fifth. Uh huh. You're November fifth. Yes. I'll never forget that now. See, look at that tether. That's really wild. You can't forget it. Uh, remember, remember the fifth of, of November. Yeah, and that's yeah. Veronica's son's birthday as well. <laughs> that's so bizarre to me. So you're born in in Lafayette. Technically, you're raised in Delphi. Yes. Family. Yeah. Mom and dad. What's mm-hmm. that like? Okay, so my mom was still in high school. Okay, totally. She was 17. My mom was 19, so I, I totally get that. She was 17. My dad, not 17. <laughs> I like how you I think he was 24. Okay, that's okay. Uh, and so they were they, they got married, I think, a month after I was born. Okay. And then I don't, I don't know the exact timeline, but my guess is roughly around a year later they split up. And so my my mom... My mom's always been like really s- smart in terms of me, myself, and my brothers, and like raising us, uh, because she she knew the environment she was in, okay, and she knew the environment that my dad was in, or my fa- my dad's side of the family versus my mom's side. Nothing against my mom's side of the family; I love them, but at the time, not the best environment for a small child. Okay, she totally. was like, I know how I was raised, so she gave my dad full custody okay well uh, not exactly full custody but i could visit she could visit weekends yeah i get that so i grew up on my dad's side while visiting my mom on the weekends and you know like i I was mostly raised by my grandparents because my dad worked full time yeah so i totally relate i basically had two sets of parents okay and it's it just made me who i am today because i got i got a lot of different uh, times. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to phrase that. Sure. Like ages of morals, you know. You were able to very obviously like learn from your experiences and witness how things were evolving mm-hmm. between your parents and when you were with mom versus when you were with dad. I'm also a child of divorce. My parents were eight when I got divorced, so I was a lot more in it. I felt the like tension of how that all happened, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the best situation, yeah. but that's just how it kind of happens. Uh, my dad also, full custody, so I was raised by a single father. He did never really had any, like, long-term companionship once he started raising me. Same. Dedication. That's all. He just focused on me, you know? I can't say that my dad really focused on me, but, like, he, he never really... He well, still, to this day, has never... But by way of working, because that's yeah, what my okay. dad was, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, He though. worked to do everything he could for you. At least that's what I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's oh, yeah. He, he definitely provided for me, like, hardcore. So, and then you obviously still have a really cool relationship with them both now, yes. your parents. That's great. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a good story. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, having more than one parent, having grandparents help raise you, kind of the it takes a community vibe. It really does, you know. And I, I, I can't be more grateful for uh, being raised by my grandparents because it, like I said, it made me who I am today. It gave, it instilled in me these, these morals that I have, these old school morals while still being 
of this age, of this time period. Absolutely. This millennial that I am. <laughs> you're, you're able to look at life now and take the morals that you're... I'm speaking for, like I'm talking through you because this yeah. is how I feel. You're taking the the instilled morals your your parent your grandparents gave you and you're going okay here's what i can use that will help me be a better person also that is a stupid fucking moral that is not it's super outdated i don't need to deal with yeah. this one tiny little thing i can evolve how life is looked at and make the the change for the better i think that's very important that our whole generation looks at life like that we don't have to be tied down to believing Every moral we've ever been taught is mm-hmm. the only way things can be. Yeah. You have to be able to look outside the box, see a situation and go, oh, that's fucked up. I'm not cool with that, <laughs> yeah. you know? So you're you're being raised in Delphi. Which school? You're in Lafayette school? You're in Delphi, Delphi. school? Okay. Um, both parents lived in Delphi? No, my mom eventually pretty early. Okay, so like around the age of three or four, I believe. Okay. Uh, she moved to Lafayette. Okay. And so I would visit Lafayette on the weekends. Awesome. So you had your Lafayette friends at some point. Eventually, Eventually. yeah. Later on. Okay. Much okay. later on. So early childhood, um, you you have brothers, right? Only yeah. brothers? I have three brothers. No sisters. No sisters. Are they, Were they all with your dad or was were you guys kind of split? Um. So... My mom, she's on her fourth marriage right now. Okay. No kids with this current one. No, uh, no, 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 uh, no, no judgment. I, I know, I get it. <laughs> um, but no, so she had my two, uh, my two. It's weird to say oldest brothers. Okay. They're, they're still young, younger. They're than younger than me, but they're my old, my two oldest brothers with her second husband, and then my third brother uh, with her third husband. Okay. And he, there's a 13 year difference between me and my youngest brother. And there's a 13-year difference between me man, and my parallels, sister. It's weird. Parallels all over the place with uh, us, it's, man. It's, it is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it, it also ridiculous that you have a Kill Switch Engage tattoo, and they're like one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. We could, we <laughs> literally, there's other podcasts we can geek we're going to do that. But. We can geek out about music all day. You know that. We have. So you are spending a lot of time between your two families going back and forth. Where does the music bug hit you? Like, What's the first... Because listen, again, child of divorce, I understand mm-hmm. music affects you greatly. It does. And when my parents were getting divorced when I was eight, the only time in either of their lives, well, I guess my mom still kind of does, but for the most part, it was the only time in my dad's life he heavily listened to country. So their divorce and country music are like symbiotic to me. Yeah. I can't listen to country music because it just makes me feel gross like during that time in my life it really does like it, it's very bizarre so what was the music that like encapsulated you early on you know it's so weird because everybody who's like su- most people who's super into music usually has some sort of family influence on that totally and i don't at all it turns out okay i found out later that my my dad's oldest brother uh he played bass like a long ass time ago with a bunch of people from delphi troy seeley Oh, Iced Earth. That's awesome. <laughs> who I saw recently. How was that? It was very excellent. Excellent. Um, very different <laughs> from what I expected. Uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any musical influence coming from my family. Uh, I was too young for my friends to really be into music. So, like, I, I just kind of stumbled upon it, honestly, because I... I uh, everybody has those phases where you start out, you listen to what your parents listen to. Then you listen to what your friends listen to. And then you start venturing out and discovering discovering for yourself. So I don't know. I, I obviously 
found i think the first band i really got into was smash mouth okay <laughs> so we had smash mouth all astro lounge came out totally and so f- that year for christmas my aunt got me fushu ming okay <laughs> so uh, not thinking oh it's smash mouth no the, uh, that that cd has it says fuck in it a lot <laughs> uh, and it's 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 it's, it's it's I like that album nowadays because it's it's the closest thing to punk that the, Smash Mouth ever was. Yeah, and it's it's a cool it's a just a really cool album because it's so much different from the mainstream Smash Mouth. They were edgy. They were edgy, and they, the mm-hmm. songs were. Ah, but I love Astro Lounge too. So moving forward from Astro Lounge, I went to Creed. Okay, and I also listened to Creed in my earlier mm-hmm. days. Cami trying to join us for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Get out of here, Cami. But so Creed. Uh, no, ever, other than that, it was just the radio. So I would hear like Nickelback and Lincoln Park, and uh, from so from Creed, I went to Good Charlotte and Lincoln Park. Okay. In terms of like actually having the CDs and like jamming them out all the time, and from like from that from Good Charlotte, I went to Disturbed. <laughs> wow, big transition there. <laughs> but within a year, sometime within that year, I got introduced to Disturbed, System of a Down, and Papa Roach, all at once not bad it was, was on a mixed cd oh okay and my that my friend my my current roommate andy he was listening to it and uh, had uh, he listened to chop suey aerials and uh last resort and i was just upset i was like holy shit these songs are awesome yeah i was like what what and then next thing like a week or two later he's borrowing the sickness and i'm just sitting here like oh and we played monster hunter which funny it the monster hunter world beta is starting today and i am missing it until tomorrow for our listeners that's last saturday yes time travel Um, so moving forward and also connecting with this date today yeah uh, i moved to pantera and today is the 13 year anniversary of is the eighth. oh yes it is the ninth because it was um strange no no it's technically the same time frame yeah i mean it's what you're within a day it's not like you're fucking a month off or yeah something. so december 8th was is the anniversary of dimebag's death which is also the anniversary of john lennon's death super crazy both very talented taken mm-hmm. way too early yes senselessly crazed fans uh, not, I will never forget where I was when I learned that Dimebag died. I was in school, 2004. I didn't know Pantera. I not only knew Pantera, <laughs> I was actually a huge Damage Plan fan at that time. Like, I was jamming Damage Plan constantly. And, um, because As I Am is one of my, like, one of my favorite songs. Or not As I Am, uh, Save Me. Oh, it's yeah, Save, Save Me. It's not As Awesome I am. song. As I Am is the Dream Theater song. Yeah. Awesome song. Uh, D- Newfound Power is an awesome CD. Yes. So, uh... I remember being in school and Brando came up to me and he's like, dude, uh, some people got shot at the, at the damage plan concert last night. I don't know what's going on. And I was like, and I literally looked at him and the first words out of my mouth is, I hope it wasn't fucking Dimer Vinny. That's literally the first thing I said to him. And like, I think an hour later in English class, they said it was Dimebag. And I was just like, no. Yeah. Of all the fucking things to happen, you know? You know, it's so weird you saying this because like, I did. I had. I was in eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. Totally. At the time, and I had no idea who Pantera was. I hadn't gotten into metal yet, not that I know of, at least. Uh, not that I can remember. I think at that time it would have been disturbed at the most. Uh, but so it, it's. I sometimes forget that you and Brandon are older than a me. a little older. Yeah. Like you're, I think you guys are like five, six years older than me. No, three. I'm thirty. You're twenty-seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Math. 
I'm not 32. <laughs> Brando is 31, though. So he is four years, technically. Okay. So, yeah, I always forget that you guys are older than me. So, like, it, when you're sitting there thinking, I'm like, God damn, you guys were young into Pantera. <laughs> but you weren't. Well, I mean, a little bit. I was, let's see, in 2004, that would have been my sophomore year of high school. Which no, is when no, I started no, going no, deep into metal. It would have been my junior year of high school. 2004 was my junior year. Okay, I got to say, junior year was probably when I started going deep into metal, because that's when I got into, like, Lamb of God, Children of Bodom. Yeah. Started getting into that heavy shit. So, do okay, let's just jump right into that. You're starting to, li- you, we just kind of, you just fast-tracked us. We're going to skip some of your angsty teenage years, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Didn't have any, you, honestly. Really? Well, that's good. Pretty basic m- middle of your life era you know honestly i've 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 had very little struggle in my life well that's really good actually i mean it it's um it's a great thing to i mean everybody struggles with yeah any any struggle i have had is has just been purely mental just going through something that i needed to grow from you know totally and so and and see that's an important look see this is you're doing the thing without me even asking i was going to say it later in the episode but i think we can just talk about it now if there was any advice you can give people to get through struggles because i do know hearing you talk on podcastrophy being your friend that you do struggle with stuff sometimes and it yeah. gets you and it puts you in a it just like a, a fugue state yeah where everything like time almost stops and and, and i know it, it, the walls cave in on you your brain is your worst enemy oh it can be yeah for sure so what do you do to get through all of that like what's your what do i do honestly i just I've always been a huge proponent for strength of the mind. Okay. Like you, I, if I were to give anybody advice is that you are in control. Yeah. And and that's not always the case. Some people have more severe things that like control them. Like depression ain't no shit. And I mean, well said, (laughs) I know that's like depression and anxiety ain't no shit. And it's, it's, I mean, not that I've had anything that I couldn't handle, but like for myself, the like i said my my only advice is like you are in control like your brain all that stuff it's just in your head yeah and you just have to learn how to and and that that could go for people with the more severe stuff i mean to an extent because obviously there's some chemicals going there's some misfires going and you know they're, they're gonna need that help they're gonna need that extra push that medication can give them and but the medication can only do so much well, and I think we're in an era where medication can become like people's worst enemies. You start to look at these older folks. Like I, th- I think about my dad, and he takes medicine to not hurt, and then he takes medicine to counteract yeah. the medicine that he's Which you taking. talked about that recently. You know, and it's just like I, I don't want that to be the future of this world. Oh, I feel no. like there are, there are better, safer options, and I hope that the literal opioid pandemic that's hitting this country finds a way to stop but i feel like mm-hmm. we're we're really we're at the tip of the iceberg right now like this is just starting you know they think it's bad now like it's only just it's right. only just getting here as soon as you make it known that there's a problem the problem only gets worse before yeah. it gets better so so back to the music though i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to skip on on that and we're gonna we'll keep going kind of back and forth with all this stuff so with the music you find some heavier stuff you're talking about lamb of god bodum so yeah. on does that inspire you to pick up the guitar? Is that where it comes from? Is there, um, a, you know, kind of, uh, so Pantera is the main reason I picked up guitar, uh, particularly the song floods. 
Yeah. We've, we've, we've talked about this. We, had... <laughs> so Pantera floods, mostly the outro. And I love the, I love the solo, but I, I love the outro. And so I wanted to pick that up. Uh, at the time I had actually started, uh, hanging out with people that were playing instruments. Like I had, uh, my friend Rebecca, uh, from she went to Rossville, uh, and so she she played guitar. She mostly played like Def Leppard, Beatles, Blink One Eighty Two stuff like that. And then I had my friend Kyle, who we were it, just talking about him yesterday. Kyle, guitar player turned drummer. No, different way. Gorgasm drummer. No, yeah, no, that not not him. Okay, <laughs> not Kyle Chrisman. No, My this bad. is Kyle Brown. Okay, who uh, funny connection to the network? Uh, I met uh, Michael Norris through him. Oh, cool. So you and Mike know each other through this guy. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, back when he was known as Little Mike. Little Mike. Little really? Mike. Because there was a big Mike, so they needed a little Mike. <laughs> uh, but he's kind of tall and kind of big, though. But Big Mike is just big. He's just big. He's, <laughs> he's big just old a big boy. guy. All right, I got you. Um, so, and he played guitar, and he, he played the heavier side of things, like the Pantera. Gotcha. He's, he's He's the guy who got me really heavy into Pantera. Uh, I was already into Mudvayne, so he didn't really get me into that, but he got God, me into that Pantera. First, that first Mudvayne album, LD50. LD, I, I'm a big fan of End of All Things. End of All Things is another great album, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, that had... Those first three albums were just fantastic. Yes, absolutely, absolutely agree. That's something we've not really dished on is my love for Mudvayne. No, um, we haven't. Big, huge fan. <laughs> uh, Death Blooms is probably my favorite song of theirs all time. Like, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff on End of All Things to come. And that what's that third album? I can picture the cover. Lost and Found. Lost and Found, because it's uh, the kid going through the storm. Uh-huh. They had, like, Fallen to Sleep was on there, and uh, that song they used for one of the Saw soundtracks was on there. Yeah. Can, can you guess my... Okay, I do this to you every time whenever you we find do, a band. And you pick fucking obscure-ass songs. Because you, you would have never guessed that Pan, or Pantera song was Yesterday Don't Mean Shit. You know what I think... I think "World So Cold" by Mudvayne is your favorite song. I believe that might be my second favorite oh, song, <laughs> oh, so second close. or third. Okay, so what's the first? You're not gonna try to guess. Um, One more guess. Man, is it the same album? No. Okay. God damn it! I feel like I need the track listings. I haven't listened <laughs> to these albums in a, in a hot minute. I, un, unfortunately, unfortunately, I can remember shit like that like n- no problem i have awesome recall when it comes I to songs i can't think of the name of the song it's albums. off the first album right keep going right it's on the first album and it's like uh, i can <laughs> i don't do this i can on tell voice. you my favorite songs off the first album obviously dig D- well yeah dig. uh uh what's that uh you already said it Death Blooms. Death Blooms. Nothing to Gain. Nothing to Gain is an awesome song. About Ed Gain. Yeah. Yeah. Mud Vein. Mud Vein Band. They're from Peoria, Illinois. Yep. Yep. Uh, And I feel like somebody I know's like grandma babysat them. Legit. (laughs) Like, I feel like that's like a real thing. Somebody in my past definitely like babysat Greg and Chad is from, that's what I was at least told. Happy? Is that your jam? No. That's okay. not even on. No, that's on, that's on the third one. Happy's uh, fucking good though. Yeah, it is. So LD fifty came out in two thousand. Yes. Okay. So that's interesting. That's pretty loud, by the way. <laughs> um, 
let's see here, 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 here. We're going to look at... Man, I look at all these songs. IPF? Internal Primates Forever? That's an all right one. No, I'm, okay, so you've you've had your you, you I've had, had your my guess. chances. All right, so it wasn't off of LD50. Jerk. <laughs> and you've already actually kind of mentioned it. It was the song that was on the Saw soundtrack. Oh! Forget to Remember. Forget to Remember. My well, favorite I song. See, I forgot Forget to Remember. That was my favorite song overall for the longest time because I love the lyrics. I love the idea behind it. I love the di- the dichotomy in Forget and Remember. I like songs that do that. I like yes. anything that has an awesome dichotomy like that. Absolutely. Um, Mudvayne is phenomenal. It's weird. And that's a weird um, tying thing together, too, because parts of Mudvayne join parts of Pantera to form Hell Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> you know what I like? The first, Fortunately, unfortunately. I liked the first Hell Yeah album. The first one was good. Second, third, no. No. Fourth, uh, Blood for Blood, uh, that was a good CD. That was I really haven't heard CD. Blood for Blood yet. Uh, the title track's not that great. <laughs> okay. Well. The, 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 I think the, the title track is actually Sangre por Sangre. Okay. Blood for Blood. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they had a song on there called Moth. Okay. Awesome fucking song. Okay. Is it like a little bit of return to form? A little heavier? I feel like Mud... Yeah, or I that feel CD like, was heavier. I called it Mudvayne. I feel like Hell Yeah started off as like, we're kind of Pantera, we're kind of Mudvayne, and we're kind of country. And then they forgot the first two things I said and were just kind of country. Yeah, and the they were Stampede just was totally really like a country, country, like an outlaw fucking country. I know. I bought it and I didn't. I listened to it once and I was just like, why did I buy this? I feel so I like, bummed. I like the singles off of it, but, yeah, but the CD. still, yeah. my thing is when I buy a, a CD, if I'm going to buy an album, you have four songs. If you can give me with four songs, I'll buy it. But I learned lessons leading up to that that make me <laughs> not buy CDs on a, oh, I like that band. Like, I bought uh, Taproot, their first album. <laughs> yeah. One song. I shouldn't have bought the album. Just listen to Poem once in a while. It's on YouTube. You can find it. <laughs> yeah. That's all they had, man. I'm not trying to be shitty, but I'm just keeping it real. So let's get back into you and, and what's going on. When do you pick up your first guitar? How does that all happen? I you, Obviously, you're watching your friends play. So my mom, she was dating slash living with... We were living with this guy named Dave. Okay. And, uh, he, what's up, Dave? He was... Uh, <laughs> He was a very well-off person. He he owned his own realty company. Okay. Selling farmland, farm realty, so tons of money in that. Gotcha. Uh, and he was also a singer-songwriter oh. uh, along the lines of, like, John Mellencamp, stuff like that. I gotcha. And so he had acoustics. He had acoustics laying around. He had an ele- a couple electric guitars laying around. He had, a like, a Digitech uh, RP-150, I think. Ooh, uh, it, nice it was, pedal. like, the bigger one. Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, right around that time like when i when we were living with him or she was living with him i was in delphi but uh i'd go to there on the weekends and hang out with my friend kyle and watch him play so then i'd be like well there's a guitar here and at the time like i didn't obviously didn't know what the hell i didn't know string gauges i didn't know tunings i just knew there's strings you plug it into an amp and you strum and you put your fingers places and uh yeah okay so <laughs> what did you do so i plugged it into his amp and okay. i plugged it into the i plugged it into the pedal and i just strummed and just messed around on like the inner sandman fucking okay <laughs> the, the setting on that so you kind of just like 
you didn't really even know how to make no. it. You were just making noise. Yeah, basically. Okay. Strumming patterns. Okay. So what? Uh, I know the first. I know it's like everybody's first song, and I, of course, "Smoke on the Water" was the first thing I learned on guitar. I don't know if that was your first song, but what was the first thing you like could play, and you were like, oh, "I just played that fucking song." Like, yes. just out of the blue, like, yeah. I'm just messing around. Yeah, and, and just, like, started to figure it out. Yes. Without looking at a tab or anything, just messing around and being like, oh, that sounds like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, wake me up when September ends. Awesome. That's pretty easy. A couple of doom, 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 Yeah. Doom. Yeah. And then I looked totally. up the tab, and I wasn't far off. Nice. Um, so you kind of understood tabs right out the gate? You could look yeah, at them? Yeah, yeah. Is that uh, because you're friends? No, I think I, I had heard about tabs, but, like, I just, it, it just clicked with me, the number and where it's at. Like I get it is that I can't I don't understand music I don't understand notes I don't understand tablature, which um, is like really basic understanding of music mm-hmm. because well, guitars are so convoluted. Yeah, later that year, uh, so December of my junior year, I got my first guitar. Okay, what was it? Actually, maybe it was my senior year. I think it may have been December of my senior year. Okay, uh, I convinced my mom because I I I. Since I was obsessed with Dimebag, I would always just search Razorbacks, Dimebag, stuff like that on eBay, see what I could what could come up. Yeah. And so I eventually I and I was very I was very picky about which guitar like I wanted. I didn't want the sim I didn't want the fucking explosion guitar. I didn't want the shards guitar. I wanted the just the the straight black with the silver lining. It looked like a razor. It looked sharp. You still have that guitar. Yes, I do. It's funny that the two you mentioned you didn't want you had are the two that I had. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, Dick no, move. I found it on eBay. Okay. Uh, I, I found it on eBay. It was, it was in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, for I think the bidding started at what I can't. It was like super low, but I was like, "Mom, I want a guitar. This is my dream guitar right here. And if I'm gonna get any, like it's it's super low. Uh, can I bid?" And, and would you would you help me get this? She goes, all right, but you're not going over 400. Like, if okay. it goes past 400, you, you can't. I'm not doing it. So, excuse me. Nice. <laughs> nice. Added to so, I get. First burp on the Voice of Survival, right? I think. Ten, I've been doing that episodes. a lot on mine. If, if you listen to episode 15 of uh, Podcast Feel, like, it literally starts with a burp because I did not give a shit that day. Podgastrophy? Pad- oh, gosh. Yeah. Whoa. But so I, I, I start bidding on it. Okay. it. It starts getting up there and I'm in school first, first hour Monday morning and it's getting up there and I'm, I'm like, this is a class that like we didn't do shit in. This is how I know it was my senior year because I, I remember having that class. To do. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there bidding. It gets up to 400 and I'm like, I'm going to do it. 450. <laughs> I was like, I'll just pay her the difference. I have a job. Okay. And uh, so that's that's what it ended up. I ended up winning it. Barely. Just, just barely. And then I had to pay like another 50 or so bucks for shipping. But yeah, so I got it. It came, It finally came like two months later. There, there were some shipping issues with the guy. Of and course. When I, and when I, of course, when I got it, he left uh, the whammy bar on inside the case. So the Floyd Rose, was the floating Floyd Rose was all fucked. God, and the neck was probably partially warped. I mean, having all that tension down, that's, I mean, truss well, rods the, the, are not meant the, to... Well, the Floyd was, like, 
crooked and offset. It was, oh, it was like no. almost falling out. Oh no! So I had to have somebody fix that up. Well, and those are those fucking licensed Floyd Rose. Yes, I hate it was. It was a legit Floyd Rose. And oh, yours was a legit it Floyd. Was it wasn't a, licensed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The, um, I, you'll have to. Lo- I'll have to look at it when I get home. But I'm pretty sure it's the the legit. Sick. Um, because I know some of the models came with the originals, and then some of them came with the licensed, and the licensed were copied models that Dean made for certain guitars. But I think at some point they lost the rights to make copies, and they had to switch to the actual mm-hmm. original Floyd Roses. So, to the listeners out there, if you've never played guitar and plan on playing guitar, getting a guitar, make sure, uh, and this is very vital. Make sure your very first guitar is either just a complete piece of shit or just doesn't have a Floyd Rose floating bridge because that is a nightmare for a beginner. I still don't understand Floyd Roses. And I'm 10 years in. I could help you. That's I don't want to know. It's, well, it, essentially, it's, it's difficult because what you have to do is you have to open up the locking nut on the top. You set all of your strings to about... Well, what you do is you want to try to make all of your lower tuning pegs all level before you do anything. And then what you do is you tune it about a half step off, lock it. It'll bring it up just a pinch. And then you fine tune them on the low. Okay. And just like like barely lock them in. The only problem is whammy, fucking out of tune. Whammy. It's super out of tune. So whammy bars are fun, but... Well, that's what the Floyd Rose is for. It's the... That's what the locking is for. But that those are still inconsistent. I mean, they can I know, be. Yeah. I know I had trouble with my Razorbacks and those, but of course, like I said, they were licensed Floyd Roses, so that probably had an effect on it. Every time I do one whammy, it'd be totally out of tune, mm-hmm. just fucked. But anyways, so you're playing your Floyd Rose, uh, your not your Floyd Rose, <laughs> your Razorback guitar. Yeah. What are you playing on this? What? I think the first songs I attempted. Um, First off, Broken by Seether. Didn't get very far with that. Uh, next off, I think, was Forget to Remember. Definitely didn't get far with that. I'm a lot better at that now. Still can't get it. Uh, I can get the main riff. I just Once it goes clean, I can't do that. I, I, I just haven't got the ability there yet. But uh, then Floods, the outro. Awesome. Uh, Hysteria by Def Leppard. Awesome. Uh, Omerta, Lamb of God. Awesome. I can. That, that was one of the first ones I really picked up. Omerta has one of the best intros of music in yeah. history. That intro uh, speech that Randy gives. Fun fact about Omerta. Mm-hmm. The first time I stepped on stage outside of my first band, two, so about two years after my last performance with them, uh, it was the very first Doom Room show. Really? Very first Doom Room show. Nick's band Weed B played Omerta. Whoa. And I sang it with them. That's awesome. Uh, Joanna, Mike's wife, she took a bunch of pictures of that set. Cool. And there's a bunch of pictures of me and Nick and the, the old band fucking playing great pictures. I, I have a few of them. Colby was still in the band at the no, time? No, Colby wasn't in there yet. He wasn't even in the band yet. No. Wow, that's early. No. Early um, we'd be. Yeah. How are you like, I feel like you are. I don't think there was a bass player. You're like point. always the bridesmaid, never the bride in bands. Like, all these bands <laughs> that, use you for stuff. I know that you've done a lot of work recently with um, Only Human. Yeah. Uh, so well, that's that's just me like saying, hey, I want to do this with you guys. Like, please, please let that happen. Yeah, basically. 
Uh, so let's get back to it. You are playing. You're talking about Omerta, Doom Room. How does okay? I guess we need to fill that gap a little bit. Oh, there's many gaps. We're well. I just I don't know how like you're how old, you were like 18, 17, 18 when you got your first guitar. Yeah, eighteen. When do you meet Doom Room Nick? How does that all happen? I feel. Like oh boy, your first band so is in between that. Two? Seventeen. I was eighteen. So that's two thousand eight. Okay. Flash forward. Uh, my first girlfriend outside of high school dumps me and I had already been approached. I had already been approached to sing for a band. Oh, cool. Uh, Cody Clem, longtime friend from going to see narrow house and stuff at the skylight cafe in Lafayette. Um, so uh, he's like, Hey, my band needs a vocalist. I think, I think you should try it out. And I was like, ah, dude, I, I got school. I got work. I have a girlfriend. I just, I don't have time for it. I've never done anything like that. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, okay. So, girlfriend breaks up with me a couple months later. And uh, I was just, I'd already, I'd already started seeing somebody else. But, like, uh, so they're like, hey, so that spot's still open. I'm like, all right, when can I try out? So I started practicing. And at the time, I, I couldn't scream at the time. Okay. I hadn't figured out how to scream. But I could yell. <laughs> Good enough. Really badly. Um, I could do uh, I could do high screams. I could okay. do really high screams. So like children abode, I'm like high screams. Yeah, gotcha. Hell yeah. That, so I, I go there and I I try out with uh, Holy Diver, Kill Switch Engage. Awesome, great cover. And uh, Are You Dead Yet? Awesome song. Children abode. Okay, fuck yes to both those. Songs. I killed. I fucking killed. Are You Dead Yet? Uh, Holy Diver being my favorite song at the time. Uh, I, I kicked ass at the screamings. Uh, but the the cleans I didn't have enough balls, and they told me that they're like, yeah, we, you have awesome screams, but you don't have enough balls with your singing. I'm like, okay. So I got the job, obviously, or the the spot, and uh, we started Catacresis. Really, and uh, it was a really cool band. It wasn't necessarily a great band for me because it was a really proggy band. That band, you sent me an invite recently to like them, I think, or you like Did accidentally I? shared. I think you might have shared something Journey into Comics, like on that page. Do you remember that? It I think so. Recently. Yeah, I can't. I don't. Rem- I don't remember what we were doing exactly, but I just remember because I was like, Catacresis, who's this? I thought I was like finding some new <laughs> band that was interested in the network. I was going to try to get them on the shows. Oh shit. yeah, get get us on. <laughs> okay, get us well, on. We'll, we'll figure. You guys it out. are still doing press all these years <laughs> later. I love that. Um, I love the spirit of that. So I'm in that I'm in that band. That's my first experience as a vocalist. And a lot doing, of shows, or I think we played make maybe four or five shows total. Okay, uh, mostly local. Yeah, all local. All local. Okay. Um, the last show they played, I wasn't. I didn't get. To, I had to work. I'd been at Subaru. I just started Subaru, so I couldn't play. It was at the Animal House in Frankfurt. Uh, another vocalist sat in for me. I guess the guitarist broke a string and all sounds issues and all. It was the like. I never had any issues. The end when of I was the in, end. When I was in the, whenever I played a show, no issues, no sound issues, nothing happened, nothing. Um, I mean, I, I think the first show, like I was staring at a lyric sheet for like most of it. Oh, I did fuck up. Very first show, uh, we we did a cover. Okay. And one of Weedby's now current guitarists, uh, Tex. Okay. Uh, he was he he had a guest spot on our first show. He had a guest spot. Um, and he, we played uh, Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden. Awesome. Off the album Iron Maiden, 
covered by Trivium. <laughs> we, did the, we did the Trivium cover. <laughs> that was from Shogun. Yeah, right? they bonus did track. That. Yep. And I remember. since I wasn't familiar with the song, I had just I I got into Shogun like right at that time because we were covering that, and uh, so like I missed my spot to, my cue to come in on the verse. So I just skipped the entire verse and went into the chorus. And like, I'm just standing there, like just, you know, bobbing my head, rocking out and guitarist leans over. He's like, Hey, you forgot. Did you forget the words? <laughs> no, dude, I, I, I didn't forget. I'm just, I just missed my, I'm just, he's just leaning over there talking to me and he can't hear me. So I'm like, no, nah, dude, I just missed my, you forgot the words, didn't you? <laughs> you yeah. You forgot. the. <laughs> he can't hear me. He's just rocking out. I'm like, so I, I come in, finish the song out strong, kicked ass. I, but, but it sucked, though, because I knew there was a bunch of Iron Maiden fans in the crowd. So I'm like, oh, my God, why am I covering the song? You felt like <laughs> out of place. I've done that before. But uh, So, yeah, we played. Um, we wrote some pretty awesome songs. I had no songwriting ability. I could write lyrics like crazy, but to put them into song form, not that great, uh, especially with the music. Like, where, like I said, they were they were trying to do like between the berry to me mastodon type shit okay cody the drummer who i connected with the most mostly because i knew him uh he wanted to do heavier stuff but the guitarist wanted to do more mastodon stuff totally like crazy jazzy all over the place stuff and uh that it just wasn't hitting me in terms of like my writing style i i wanted to write more personal yeah fucking get Feel shit off what my you're chest doing. yeah exactly uh and so it was difficult for me i couldn't find the rhythms for me to put music into it anyway so i get my job at subaru uh things slowly start to like we lose that we lose that guitarist because he's, he's he graduated school moved out got a job um and then i couldn't practice as much and then we're just like is this still a thing no okay and which really sucked because my fiance left me at that time like around that april of that time so i was like full on let's do this shit much like i was in the beginning like hey i want to join the band like i'm about this and then she left me so i'm like okay let's go to the next step let's i started making i started doing the the nate phillips thing making shit on facebook get i was like let's make shit happen let's promo let's promo let's promo (laughs) i started doing like live live uh playthroughs of my singing on songs and it's terrible quality and sucked but uh uh, so i was all about i started learning as much as i could about like screaming and the technique behind it totally and uh then i just called it quits man that hurts and uh, part of the reason is cody joined weed b oh is this okay so founding of weed b okay he replaced the original drummer so that happens you're still friends with cody Mm -hmm. you meet nick yes Okay, so let's talk about that. Initial How- meeting of Nick, they came up to bar. One of their guitarists needed a guitarist, and and so that was like, yeah, you can borrow my my ESP. They borrowed that. Uh, they came up to my apartment, hung out for a bit. Didn't really talk to Nick. Really. Next thing, they're playing. They're playing their second show, which was at the Hilltop Fortress on the Fourth of July. Awesome. And so, I hung out with them mostly, still just talking to only Cody. I didn't know the rest of them. Uh, also, that was the day I met my current uh, tattoo artist. She was fr- she was really good friends with them. Um, and then I just started going to the mall, and I noticed Nick worked at a Gold Pros booth. What's that? <laughs> it's just this booth, 
that buys and sells gold. Really? Or I don't. Th- I don't think they sold gold, but they but bought. They, buy gold. they bought yeah. jewelry off of you. And I would just sit and hang out with him and talk to him about music and shit. I got him into Parkway Drive. Awesome. I got a lot of people you, into Parkway that's, Drive. That's kind of your mo. Um, and I would. I would literally just because I would go to the mall just to go to Applebee's and get a cheeseburger, and then before that was my meal before work. And uh, I was I was on night shift at Subaru, and this is before I was friends with I was I, th- I was only friends with Rob at this point from Subaru Silent Rob in terms of this group okay, and uh, so I would just go there and hang out with Nick for a couple hours before work and then just yeah, <laughs> and then that that butted the Nick and Dick relationship the friendship I love it. yeah and uh, he there was a, there was a minute for a while that w- him and I weren't very close because he started blowing up in every aspect like we they got the doom room because the hilltop closed down uh so that, that's when we started the doom room and i i kind of I, it was kind of my fault because uh they lost they needed a bass player they lost a bass player so i started being like hey i'm gonna learn bass and I'll, i can i can fill in if you want and yeah. just and I would you come, wanted to do it once so again it, it was just like me trying to interject myself and always being the bridesmaid like, never the bride. yeah and i was i was always throwing ideas out there for his band hey you should do this hey we should do this at the doom room just uh so and uh he, i kind of noticed they were starting to treat me differently okay. and i i started taking a, i took a step back and looked at what i was doing i've always been really good at like being able to take a step back and be like is this me self-evaluation yeah good i've always been good about that okay and so I noticed that I sent them a big long apology. I sent both him and Cody a big long apology. I mean, like, hey guys, I I noticed that there's been the shift in mood towards me, and I I feel like it's my fault, and you know I think it's because of this and this and this. And they're like, yeah, you pretty much hit it right on the head. So essentially, you wanted to be a part of it, obviously. Yeah. And you were trying to, without so much as saying, let me be a part of this. You were going, here's all these ideas I have. And yeah. you almost overloaded them to where they were like, look, like we get it. You have ideas, but we have ideas. Yeah, and this is our band. And this yeah. is our band, and this is what we want to do. So so that's rough for you because, again, you're watching your friends go and do these other things. Yeah. Um, you started another band shortly after that? Yeah, The Fallen Mind. The, and this is where I know you from. And not not that I know you from The Fallen Mind. I think I, that should, I should But when I met you, that was one of the things you were – heavily in uh you were still playing music on the regular like i said earlier in the episode you had come to mike and joanna's house there was a little i think we jammed like i think i don't know if you brought your guitar i brought my bass that i bought off of rob yeah (laughs) and we were just like kind of all dicking around on it i brought that because nick torres he said he he had played bass before so i was like hey just here's my rocksmith here's the bass you can get back into it like i think that'd be really cool for you yeah and he never did, of course. Wow. But that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I, I no longer have that base. Oh, however, it is still in the family. Oh, I sold it to Nick. Oh, Maxim. that's awesome. So he uses it for Doom Room shows. Who knows? He yeah, has he, it. He has it. For I was whatever. like, "What do you use this?" He's like, "I don't know. I, I like having instruments around." He's hopefully he has uh, my seven string, and he says he wants to buy it. But I, he has it. I've I've yet to receive money, but that's okay. I know where to find him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not too hard to find. No, uh, if. I think he's got a show on this network, possibly. Oh, I think he does too. Um, what what is it? Podcastrophe? No, no, that's, no, that's mine. Yeah. And he's on it. Dudes with no, 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 no. Babes with ba- beers babe? with babes. Beers with babes. No, no. it's it's bru- it's brews with uh, dudes, fellas. 
fellas, dude, fellas. <laughs> I want to use that now and bruise with fellas. <laughs> Change the whole show. Maybe uh, that'll be my great uh, mischievous. What uh, what's what's something that starts with C? Like a beard that starts with C. Uh, Coors. Oh no, champagne with chaps. Champagne with chaps. That's <laughs> something, great. Something stupid like that. That's actually funny. That that's like a dapper podcast <laughs> where they're all pretentious. I feel like I feel like that that show. Just a tangent. You're a part of that show, so we should yeah. talk about that for a minute. Um, the Bruise with Dude show is very well done because you guys know what it is. You know what you're doing, and also you're not pretentious about it. When no. I listen to the shows, I'm never like fuck these fucking beer snobs these craft beer snobs <laughs> you know there are so many dudes in the craft beer game that are total douchebags they're oh, the yeah. worst kind of people i think what helps with that is the fact that we're a bunch of metalheads and metalheads yes you either once again there's the snobby ones they're the elitist but being metalheads and this is why i love being in the group of friends that i have is because i'm a metalhead they're metalheads i love the the sense of humor that metalheads have it's just so real and it, you, you just don't get any bullshit for the most part it's it's very cutthroat and honest yeah and people are gonna say what they mean metalheads are like the funniest dudes i've ever met also true in kinda. general mostly typically i feel like because it's like they live their lives with such dark music on them, yeah and it's a way for them to escape that so they have like they can actually <laughs> they like, need the music's their escape from life and the humor's the escape from the music exactly exactly that's exactly what interesting it is. Like, way to look at to, that we have to be more cheerful because this music is so doom and gloomy you know? <laughs> anyway anyway back to back to my story with nick please yes so fast forward a little bit i moved in with him i moved in and lived at the doom room for a very short time. And at, at first it was great because I was still on day shift and then I got hired full time. I went straight to night shift. Couldn't go to any of the shows because I've worked every other Saturday. Uh, I slept most of the day. Didn't get home till two, three in the morning. It was like being there, but not actually being there. Yeah. And so like the days that I would wake up and at, at a decent time, like noon, uh, I would just hang out upstairs in my room or on my computer I kind of like alienated, isolated myself from everybody, which is, it, it just happened. Being on night shift, waking up, you just don't want to deal with anything. You become a vampire. Yeah. I mean, really, man. And it's crazy to look back to that episode, too. I remember it's funny sitting at this exact kitchen table. Dick and I had hung out. I think we went to Three Floyds that day. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, man, it feels like a lifetime ago. But, uh, again, Dick is one of my closest friends, and I've been grateful to have him as a part of this network because he's driven us to be what we are and drives us to be even better than we are. So, again, this is like the shout-out episode to my friends on this show because I didn't get a guest this week. It's my shortcoming, but it's also kind of cool for you guys because you might not have even seen or listened to these older episodes of The Voice of Survival from Season 1 and not even know they exist, and they're some of my favorites. I mean, if they're on the best of survival, they have a special spot in my heart for one of several reasons. So last but certainly not least is the man who, I'm just going to call him out right now, Tyler, the main man, McLaughlin. Like, this dude came in to to the game in a weird, he came in through Dick, actually. Dick and Brando worked with him, and they were like, oh, this guy's going to be great. Podcastrophy host, he's been strong on since like episode 12 or so. And, uh, you know, he is a hard worker who really, I think, uh, found 
a love for podcasting. I don't know if maybe he realized he wanted to or would like doing it, but once he started doing it, it's become something that I don't, you know, I don't think you could take it away from him. I think it's something he really loves and enjoys doing. Uh, Tyler and I have bonded on several different levels. We are on the brainwave a lot of times. We have a lot of similar opinions and thoughts. Sometimes he is the man of popular, unpopular opinions, and that's fine. Because you know what? When you're a dude like Tyler who's had Tyler's journey, who's had to bounce around the world like he has who's had to to just grow up in a different circumstance than everybody else, you know, you kind of are, and I don't want to use this word because it's a sucky word, but you're almost entitled to be able to have an unpopular opinion because you've seen different aspects of the world that have changed your overall viewpoint more than, say, somebody who is just seeing it from one set of eyes who's only lived in the same country or the same state, for that matter. So... You know, Tyler and I have bonded a lot. Uh, him and Skyler are an amazing couple. Their daughter, Ruby, is hilarious. Um, these people are genuine, good-hearted, kind folks who, you know, I, every time I've been around Tyler, I've had a fun time. He, he makes me laugh a lot. We play off each other really well. Um, he really stepped up. And, and this is not in any offense to Dick, but in a lot of ways, Tyler stepped into Brando's shoes as the guy who is constantly working on solving the problem, constantly driving, constantly has. I mean, Tyler is always giving me thoughts, opinions, ideas, viewpoints, how to do things when we're at an event. He's helpful. He's fucking ingenious when it comes to fixing shit. He fixed my truck when it broke. And, I mean, that helped the band tour for, like, five fucking shows before it could get fixed. So, I mean, really, huge shout-out to Tyler. He is an amazing human being who, really, if he cares for you, he's going to give you his absolute best. And I think that's one thing that not everybody can say. Sometimes people, you know what, and it's true. Everybody has bad days. I can't say that Tyler hasn't had bad days. I've had bad Everybody has them. But Tyler just is such a giving individual. And I feel like maybe he goes underappreciated a little bit, you know. So I want to give back to Tyler. And this is a place to announce that that's different than where you would maybe expect to hear it. It's deep in this podcast. We're probably a couple hours at this point. And... Tyler is actually going to be actually filling Brando's shoes. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, I've been, God, 50-some-odd episodes without a co-host. I did almost a year. I did, actually, I've done a year of Journey into Comics without a co-host, officially, an official weekly co-host. And I love everybody that I've worked with on the network. But there's a certain chemistry I have with Tyler. So right now, right here, it's official. No denying it. It's just the way it's going to be. It's it, You know, the nice thing is it's not going to interfere with anything Podcastrophy is doing. And Tyler isn't interested in, like, I don't think leaving that show. I think that it's his outlet for everything. And Journey into Comics is him being able to be a nerd. So... Tyler's going to be my co-host and we're going to see how this goes and we're going to we're going to just roll with it man we really are just going to roll with the tide and uh the nice thing is 
There might be weeks Tyler has to take off, and that's okay because Journey into Comics, if you've listened to that show at all, usually I can do an okay job by myself. I know what to talk about and how to put a show together and, and do it. I've been doing it long enough. So having Tyler is going to be great for bouncing off ideas, but Tyler's also going to help me feel more confident bringing people back onto the show as a guest when we have bigger events and stuff. You know, I don't know. I, I get really weird anymore about planning things because when you run the network and you have all these other fucking hats you wear, sometimes you overwhelm yourself. And sometimes I don't know if my decisions are best. And um, I don't know. There's just an energy with Tyler. Tyler and I meld really well together. I think it was LafayCon weekend that I kind of made the decision and teased it. And then I've really thought about it after I said it, and it, and, and I really mean it. I think he will be absolutely perfect. Perfect. So I'm looking forward to the future, but right now we're going to link back to the past. We're going to hear Tyler talk about some of his journey. This was a really long episode, so I'm not sure where this clip is going to pick up, but it's going to give you guys a look into Tyler's life and uh, what made him who he is today. So let's go ahead and roll that now. We know each other through podcasting. Brando, Mike, and the guys from Subaru all right. kind of picked you up. Really, the first time I heard your name was through Dick. Because Dick's like, there's this guy, and I'm going to get him on my fucking show, and he's going to be my co-host. I don't know if he knows it or not, but he's going to be my fucking co-host. And I'm like, oh, well, if, if you vouch for him, he must be a great dude. You know, like, I'm not really sure. And then we met, and, you know, I think at first you were a little bit, like, calm cool quiet you weren't like super exuberant like you are I and like to be uh, professional you know yeah I, yeah you were just like feeling out the situation like you should you know th- there's Not like a, there's a lot of my personality that you know the best way to describe me as a person is i'm very abrasive you know i i can be an asshole but i can also be the nicest person in the world it all just depends on what kind of uh vibe you're you're sending my direction Totally. if, you know, when I was a kid, I was raised in a a kind of a really weird environment. But, you know, everyone is told when they're a kid, well, you need to respect your elders. And I never, that never vibed with me. If you show me respect, I'm going to give you respect. Because you're earning my respect by giving me a little bit. Now, if you respect me and then I I truly know that you're a piece of shit, I'm not going to give you, you know, oh, shit. Oh, I'm still here. Oh, I'm not gone. I had a stupid pop-up pop-up. Oh, a pop-up pop-up. Pop that's uh, that's the most 2000s thing you could say on right? a podcast. Like I said, I haven't had a computer since 2009, so this is weird <laughs> still. But, uh, yeah, so I, I just, anymore, you know, I'm, I'm not old by any means, but now that I'm, I'm getting close to that big 30, um, I've learned to kind of keep my mouth shut when I meet people. Feel out the situation. Right, because I don't, I don't want to be so boisterous and over the top like I used to be and just instantly remove people from my life that could be really cool, you know? Uh, yeah, I feel you. It's interesting that you say that because I definitely the same way. I'm 31 now, and when I was in my early to mid-20s, I was definitely that very exuberant out there, just in-your-face guy, like, hey, what's up? I'm so happy to meet you. Like, how's it going, man? Let's party, you know, or whatever. Right. And and now, like, it's weird, too, because now the more things I've done out in the world, 
the more like closed in I feel like I have like really bad anxiety about seeing people and stuff now, you know, like even, even in normal, like life situations, sometimes I'm like, Oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking go see any human being, any human person. Right. So totally to you, I feel the same thing when meeting new people. I'm a little bit, I'm like friendly, but I'm not who I am, I guess is the way to say it. It's like a, a soft version of me. Well, and you know, when I was a kid, my grandma always used to say, there's too much meanness in the world. And, you know, like any young kid or teenager, I just ignored it. You know, I'm on top of the world. I'm invincible, you know, just typical naive kid. But now it's like, I'm to the point where I'm almost, uh, I almost want to put the wall up because I don't want to be, taken advantage of totally and i and i'll get into to why i've started to be like that a little bit later in the show but you know i've been fucked over a lot and i I take care of people that take care of me and if you're gonna go out of your way to fuck me over you gotta be a pretty bad fucking piece of shit totally i don't think my first impression of you was like i said you were just really soft you came off as this like like gentle guy who was just like I'm gonna fill out the room and just be patient but like when we started talking and vibing on nerdy shit I knew I knew exactly who you are as a person right and it's really cool because you're one of the few people and not that we have to spend any amount of time on this you're one of the few people who maybe in certain aspects we don't always see eye to eye but like I respect the fuck out of you as a person and like it doesn't even matter because when you say your opinion or your view you never come across as no i'm fucking right you say here's how i see it take what you will you know what i'm saying and that's a that's a thing that not a lot of people even know how to handle anymore well and that means a lot from you especially because your political views and my political views are 100 percent polar opposites 90 percent of the time and you know, that was a great, totally made-up stat, by the way. Right. Thank you. I mean, you know, whether one of us is wrong on one hand or the other, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that I know I can sit down and have a conversation with you, especially about politics, um, you know, especially with all the shit going on right now in our political climate, and I know it's not going to turn into a screaming match. You know, it goes back to the respect thing that I was just talking about. Absolutely. If you show me enough respect to let me voice my opinion... I have no incentive to not let you voice your opinion. You know, I compl- I unfortunately I didn't get to be on my own show this week. Um, but I complimented Miranda on her ability to form an opinion and back her opinion up because we're to the point now in society where people form opinions, they don't have to justify them whatsoever. You hit the nail on the head. My opinion is is fact. It is right. And then then, then they, they don't want to discuss why their opinion may or may not be wrong. And you then know? really their opinion is like, um, the thing that I think bothers me the most about the current like climate of the world we live in are headline chasers. People that just post because the headline and they don't think about what's in the article or they don't actually read what's beyond the text because sometimes those headlines are so misleading. They are clickbait for right. a reason. They are Absolutely. trying to get you in their visual so they get numbers. It's a fucking game. We're all playing it. Yep. And and I'm guilty of it just like anybody. You know, a lot of times I'll read clickbaity headlines and then it will make me chuckle. So I'll share it. And then it's like, oh shit. 
I'm didn't compound- read between the lines. Yeah, oh, you know, I'm contributing to the problem because I'm doing exactly what I'm bitching about doing, you know. It's- yeah, and sometimes people can get caught in that thing where, like, I share stuff sometimes and I don't say anything because I'm not, I don't even have an opinion yet. I just want to see what everybody else's fucking opinion is and see, like, what the view is really in our world. Because sometimes I post stuff that's like, you see crazy videos and you can't believe half the shit you see. I mean, sometimes you can, but other times you can't. And I'm a part-time conspiracy theorist. I think I'm not, I'm definitely not full-time. Right. So I, I, you have to be leery of everything, but I just try to like, one thing I, I, I again, appreciate about you is you definitely bring facts to back up what you're saying. I try to go here, read this, you know, and, and I love that. And another thing that's cool is that like, the reason that your opinion is how you see it, and I, I will never be able to change that and vice versa, is because our journeys, and this is the whole reason for the show today, our journeys are so different. Right. You've lived a life that I literally in no chance could ever imagine going through. Like, I, I don't even know your full story, but the bits and pieces I've got from listening on Podcastrophe, because I'm an avid fan of that show, we always I don't give a fuck that it's on uh, my we network. We always appreciate the pod daddy coming and blessing the show. Man, yesterday I got caught up. I watched the whole entire live stream because I was so baffled that Miranda was on, and she just slayed across the board. Yeah, Miranda did a good job. Like, I don't, I don't mean to just, like, all of a sudden offshoot brag. That's not why we're here. But where does your journey actually, like, start, I guess, is, like, are you born in Indiana? Is this just a happenstance of a place you ended up? Or So I was born in Augsburg, Germany. Um, my mom and dad were both in the service. Uh, my mom's from Lafayette. My, my mom's family's from Indiana. My dad's family's from Virginia. And... Uh, so my parents met in the military. I was born at the hospital my mom worked at in Germany. Um, I lived in Germany for almost four years, and then my parents decided to split up. And during that time frame, my dad, and my mom and dad both had to PCS back to um, Virginia. So that's a personnel change of station. So normally every three to five years, the military forces you to move. You know, if you want to be promoted or continue your career, like here, move here and then go up the ladder. You're literally going up the ladder by where people open up the position. Correct. So and it it keeps you fresh in your career. That's why they do it. Um, But anyway, so we went back to Virginia and then my parents split up. My dad decided to stay in the military and my mom got out. Um my dad actually won full custody of me and my and the judge that presided over the case gave my mom no contact so my mom was to never see me again ever cuz my mom's a piece of shit and um so my dad being a single parent in the military going back overseas possibly being deployed you know there was the during that time period it was the bosnia kosovo you know, it was the Clinton administration, so we were doing everything in Eastern Europe that we could, um, and then obviously right after Operation Desert Storm, so we've got to manifest destiny everywhere. Exactly, and, um, yeah. So my dad gave my mom joint custody, agreed to joint custody, knowing that my mom would dump me off on her parents, knowing that 
I would have a safe place to live where I could get a good education, and then I would just spend half of the year with him. So I'd do 50-50. Okay, so he ultimately, for you, probably made a tough choice that fucking wrecked him. I Mm -hmm. mean, you're a parent now. I'm sure you emotionally envision having to make that same kind of decision. Right. Just is not even a, a, a thought. You can't even think. Well, like and it's that. one of the things that I preach about on podcast free. Just when I talk about people, just American, the American populace, our quality of life, the way, why we are the way that we are. And one thing, you know, Blaine two weeks ago on the show talked about how when he was a teenager. He was already thinking about getting married and having a family, and I think I started to go down my version of that, and I got sidetracked, but when I was a teenager, it was the complete opposite. It was, I don't want a family. My view of family is very different than most people's, just because of the way that I was raised, and... um I'm going to guess you have more of a like a pack mentality. It's not necessarily by blood. Nope. It's by your pack and who you can trust. Yes, I fucking family. Told, I, it, family yes. does is is not tied by blood. Fam, your family is who you choose your family to be. I think there's a great quote, and I've I've definitely uh, I've definitely used this as my mantra my whole life. Uh, blood makes you related. Loyalty makes you family. Absolutely. And uh, man, like you can't you can't speak truer words because I mean your journey. It's funny because I'm learning your journey. You. Full custody with your dad, single parent. I had full custody, or my dad had full custody of me, single parent. Like, to- to- totally different paths, So because your dad's, like, being a fucking superhero, essentially, mm-hmm. and going and, and, like, fighting for our country. Uh, and he makes this decision, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get joint custody. Were you old enough and aware that that was happening? No. And, like... So you didn't even have a fucking say. It I was had already no idea. In, okay, I guess. I guess that this is a tough question, but back it up a little bit. I'm sure we're going to learn more. Mm-hmm. But you said that your dad gets f- full, free, and clear custody because your mom is quote a piece of shit. What defines that, and 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 what what things are going on? That is this maybe things that led to their divorce? Is the person she is, and that type of thing? So my dad describes my mom as the best friend and best drinking buddy he ever had, worst mom ever. You know that's okay. not his exact words, but the first part of it is. So the perfect story. My dad would talk about when I was a teenager. He would talk about. Uh, my dad won Soldier of Europe like three times in his early career. Uh, my dad was pretty well respected in, in his community. And my dad would work really long hours and come home. Um, and my mom would be passed out on the couch and I'd been screaming for hours. Or um, she had been, like my dad would work if he would have night duty, he would come home at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And my mom had been binge drinking all night. And then my dad would have to stay up all day with me and then go back to duty that night. So my dad was pulling, you know, pretty much 24 hour days when I was a real little kid while my mom binge drank. And, you know, as I got a little bit older, older, she would like steal my Ridlin and shit like that. You know, just, 
just not a, and, and my mom is not a bad person i later in life i reconciled with my mom for a couple of years um after her seventh dui she got clean uh miraculously got her driver's license back which doesn't make any sense you know but uh, i thought three strikes and you were out but that's re- for yeah, another time yeah Fair enough but uh so she so we reconciled she got clean and then you know not even a year into us actually being in contact again she started drinking again and i was like you know what if you want to reach out and and be in contact with me you can i am not going to make effort to be in your life because you've never made effort to be in my life and um for the most part both of my parents neither one of them raised me so now that i'm a parent they are living vicariously through my kid you know they didn't get to raise me so now they want to be involved in my kid's life more than they were involved in my life so i'm a lot less uh judgmental of a person now I'm a lot less cynical of a person now so I obviously let them be involved in my kids life but you know when I when I was a teenager especially and I hate I I'm sorry I keep jumping around but no we, we this is how we do it on the show man you have to jump around because when it's... when I was a teenager I told myself no one will ever raise my kids but me I don't care what I have to do I will raise my kids if I have them and I also told myself that my mom would never, ever see any of my children. My mom would not be at my wedding. She was done and out of my life for good. Um, through all of the shit that I've been through, I've learned that. And, you know, you see the corny, uh, you've got to forgive those people shit. But through all of the depression and the anxiety and the ups and downs and I've that I've had in my life I've realized that you truly do have you don't you don't forget but you have to let that shit go otherwise those people truly do have power over you for the rest of your life and that's that's not how you want to live that's not how anyone should have to live so no, I think that's an anxiety ridden life mhm because Which you we're already are already constantly... so anxiety ridden anyway you know exactly exactly because you get put in a situation where like it's again it's so crazy how similar our stories are i have drama with my mom we've had falling outs on and off and i've just recently tried to reconcile with her you know she's recently a grandparent and trying to be a better person around my nephew now so Mm -hmm. uh the similarities are just it's shocking you know but like you have to know when toxicity is there and if you if you can just be brave enough to cut it out, sometimes that hurts. Yep. Sometimes absolutely. I look back on years of my life and I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't spend time with my mom doing anything like at all. So I don't have that. I don't really know what that like closeness that some people share with their mom is. Um, so I know exactly where you're coming from. So with your mom, I was going to add that there's a point to this. I was going to kind of ask that because I noticed with my mother, that when my nephew was born, she kind of changed. She mm-hmm. became more like emotionally aware. It's like it sobered her up that 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 the picture is even further than her now. Like you know what I'm saying. So did that same kind of thing happen with your mom, where you could almost see her change a little bit, and it was like, oh okay, damn it, it like it, it okay. Was, I had to look really hard to see it because the, the the perfect descriptor for my mom is she's an 18 year old trapped in a 40-year-old's body. 
you know, she's got the let's party and drink all day and I don't really, I really don't have to go to work tomorrow. They're not going to fire me kind of mentality. And my mom has always had this ability. She gets really, really good jobs. Like, she's had a dozen careers in her life. Damn. And every time she fucks it up, and she gets another one. I don't know, I don't know how she does it. Which just compounds, you know, it it just enables her to keep doing what she's doing. Because she's Uh, never been, like kick to the bottom and had right. to fight well, up. Even, you know, she went to jail for a, a long time, like over a year, and that's how she got sober. And then she, she, it still didn't make her change, truly. You know, <sighs> sitting in a concrete box for a year doesn't make somebody change. You know, I always say you can't change somebody's beliefs because that's somebody's beliefs, and it's not your right to change you know, unless it's unless it's a belief system that's doing somebody harm, it's not exactly. your right to change it. Um, but alcoholism, I don't believe alcoholism is a disease. I believe it's a choice. There's science that says otherwise, but I've I've lived it. Most of us have lived it. You choose to pick that bottle up and you choose to stick that needle in your arm and shit like that. No one ever made you do it. You chose to do it. You open the door to addiction, you know, so. And And there are telltale signs of people early on, and I'm sure we'll get into this, that are, it's telltale early. I could tell you people that I know in my life who have addictive personalities, like, for example, this total, it's going to sound totally mundane to start, but Dick from Podcastrophe, God help him if he ever got hooked on a hard drug. Yeah. Because guess what? He would be addicted. Oh, yeah. He would not have any way out, you know, but... He's smart enough not to make the fucking choice. That's right. He goes, you know what? I think that would be a pretty stupid fucking move for me to do. And I'm Let the me same not. way. I am exactly the same way. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, back where were we at here? We're going to backpedal to... So, your dad agrees because he's got to keep going, jumping back and forth. You're like six months with him, six months without. Yep. You're essentially dumped off to your mom's parents or your grandparents. Correct. Half of the year, every year, raising you. So, that's the way it originally was supposed to play out. And then it went to, I would spend uh, end of the summer, the fall, wintertime, and spring here. And then I would spend just all of the summer with my dad. So... I got to see my dad three months out of the year, and it it worked out because it gave me a lot of experience in my life that most people don't get. You know, I've I've got to travel the world because of that. Um, so there is like always, I, like I said, I'm not I'm not so cynical anymore. There's there's positives in any, every situation. You just got to look for them or look at them from a different perspective. Um, I've traveled to most of Europe, uh, almost made it into the Middle East, but was told I wasn't allowed to go. And I'm glad I didn't go because I probably wouldn't have been able to come back. Um, really? Yeah. So my dad, my dad was going to go on a business trip to Azerbaijan and I was originally supposed to go with him. And then like two weeks, two weeks before we were supposed to leave, there was, uh, like an American kidnapped there. And then my dad shut that, shut that down to me. He still had to go, but he wouldn't let me go with him. (laughs) He's like, Um, not a fucking chance. Nope. You know, when you've got, when you're a, when you're a white American in the middle East, uh, 
you you're you're very easily recognized and then when you have children with you that makes you that much more of a of an easy target you know absolutely it's so, a vulnerability right it's much it's much like the ideology of the supervillain you mm-hmm. know easiest way to kill the hero is through people he loves that's right so you attack oh, people man. where they're the weakest man so he says no fucking shot we're not doing that nope he goes and comes back successfully right. i'm guessing yep uh, what did you do in that time? Did you have like a sitter or somebody that was, I mean, you were with him. I hung out with my evil stepmother. Ooh, I didn't know you had a stepmom. I have an evil stepmother. Still to this so day? She's not evil anymore, but when I, was a, when I was a kid, she was evil. Actually evil or just mean because she didn't let you have your way? Actually evil. Okay, let's let's hear about it. Let's break okay, it down. Okay, so my, uh, my stepmom, she's from East Germany. So she grew oh, up. Wow. On the, she grew up on the eastern side of the wall. Um, her dad was uh, a Nazi. Whoa. Yep. Um, Holy shit. He he's actually he's actually a really cool dude. Um, You've met him. Yeah, I've met him. He's he's a, he's a really cool dude, and it gave me an interesting perspective because you know we learn so little about true history going through school when we're kids anyway, when you actually get to meet someone from a different time period, that's... Celebrity's a bad word. Like, um, that has some notoriety. You know, anybody anybody that, that that's a, a fucking Nazi's notorious, you know? Y- you think about yeah. a Nazi today, well, your, your first inclination is, well, they're bad fucking people. Well, some of the Nazis were just soldiers doing what they were told. Now, that doesn't justify what they did. Totally. Um, but I get what you're saying because, I mean, there are people now currently, there was a guy, he was the head of ICE, the immigration, mm-hmm. I don't remember, I don't know what the fuck it means, but or can't remember right now, but uh, he resigned today. Oh, because really? Because he's like, he, he can't, you know, he couldn't spread the falsehoods of this administration anymore is how he worded his resignation. Uh, so, yeah, uh, back to it. So, um, he, d- he wasn't at, you know, concentration camps or anything like that. He was just, he just was just more one of the guys. Yeah. He was just, he was just doing what he was ordered to do. Um, but yeah, you know, when I was a kid, he was a really, he, I had some really cool conversations with that guy, but back to my stepmom. So she grew up on the Eastern side of the wall, which was Russian occupied, not a very good place to live. Um, you know, people from East Germany were trying to move into Western Germany every day, and they would be shot, you know, trying to cross the wall or trying to... And there's a place in Berlin called Checkpoint Charlie. It was the American uh, kind of post that was set up to divide each side of the wall, and then... I mean, because we were still doing shit on both sides of the wall. So the Russians had to let us in. We had, to, you know, back and forth. But there's a museum on each side of the wall in Berlin, east and west. And the Western Germans grew up in prosperity. And, and you know, it was still rough post-war, but they had all of the Western privilege. And then you look at, if you go over to the museum for the eastern side... They grew up in extreme poverty. The Russians treated them extremely bad, um, you know, because they were just killing them not that long ago. So it, it, it's a it's a really if you ever travel abroad and you ever go to Germany, 
and you go to Berlin, the first thing you'll recognize is Berlin, 90% of the city is covered in graffiti. It's kind of a shithole. But there's sections of the Berlin Wall that are still standing, and that's important because that's something that we need to remember. You know, we divided a nation for fucked up reasons to punish them for all the fucked up shit that we did, or that they did, and then half of them had good lives and the other half were basically slaves, you know? Yeah, but, and um, it's crazy because I know, I remember when I was in school growing up, you would hear that there were the stories of people, like, hiding under the car to try to get from one side to the next and yep. shit, and so she, your stepmom had kind of lived through some shit, actually. It hardened her. She was she was really little uh, for the majority of the, the Russian occupation, I'll, is how I'm going to word it, but, you know, when she was a teenager, there was still, the wall had came down when she was a teenager, or, you know, shortly, in her late teens, the wall came down. So there was still, I mean, it was still, East Germany was still shitty. So she had a rough childhood, and then when she met my dad, my mom, who is batshit crazy, uh, was threatening them and trying to do shit to them all the time and threatening my dad. And my my stepmom hates my mom to this day. And she took that out on me as a kid. So resentment by proxy because she couldn't she couldn't physically show her disdain for your mother to your mother. Yep. So and she you took were it out a representation of your mom. Yep. So um, and you know while I was there, I took time away from her. You know I spent time with my dad. I was there for the summer. I wanted to do shit with my dad, but my dad still had to work, so my dad would go to base during the day, and I would be at home with my stepmom. And it's like, well, I'm gonna go hide in my room for six hours. You know I don't do anything fucking, but be around her. Right. I I would do anything to get away from her. And um, when when my dad was stationed in Spain the first time, there there is hundreds and hundreds of things for kids to do all day, every day. So I would ride my bike to the pool and, you know, I would go, um, the base that he was stationed at, it's, it's in uh, a city called Rota. It's one of the biggest naval bases in Spain. I actually, yeah, it's still, it's still, it's still active. Um, but they had a movie theater on base that was free. Everything was free except concessions. So well, all I had awesome. to do was walk in and pay. And they were affordable concessions. Like two bucks for a popcorn. Like actual cost of the shit? Yeah. So <laughs> I would go, you know, if I, if I didn't want to hang out with her during the day, I would ride my bike on base and, you know, grab a bite to eat and watch a movie. And the next day I would ride a couple miles up. They, My dad always lived off base. He never lived on ba- in, in on base housing. So I would always have to ride a bike somewhere. And public transportation in Europe is is fantastic. If we had public transportation here, we wouldn't have to deal with half of the shit that we have to deal with. But it, Totally. And it was weird for me for a long time growing up. You know, I would ride the train by myself places and all kinds of shit when I was over there, and I would come back here, and it's like, well, we've got some corn. Looks like some soybeans over there. Looks like and that guy's more doing corn. meth. You know. But, <laughs> that um, guy's doing meth. <laughs> right. But, uh... So they they had this they built this like million dollar pool for uh servicemen and their families to utilize off base which is unheard of. They don't they don't 
typically do stuff like that because it's a security hazard. It's not secured on base, so they can't they can't effectively they're not gonna they're not gonna post people to guard it. You know. Yeah, totally. So, but I would ride my bike up there and shit, and they had like a kids center where teenagers would go and play video games, and they would do cookouts and. I would do organized sports during the summertime while I was there and shit like that. So I always had shit to do, you know, but if I, if I was ever around her, it was like Cinderella and her stepmom, you know, you don't mean anything. You're just here for a little while and then you'll be gone again and your dad will forget about you. And that, that wore on me for a long time when I was a kid, because my dad, one thing that I can never take away from my dad is my dad always gave me the choice. I could move and live with him full time anytime that I wanted to. And that's a little bit of a cop out for him because he never had to make that decision. Um, you did. I He put that decision on me, which a, a child should never have to make that kind of decision. They should have the ability, but they shouldn't have to be made to. Um, so... And, and I t- once I became an adult, I told him why I never, you know, he knew my stepmom and I didn't get along, and, and he knew the whole story ab- behind that. And I told him when I was a teenager, I said, I'm never going to make you choose, but I'm never going to let you forget how she made me live or how she made me feel, you know, whenever you weren't, weren't, whenever you weren't around. And whenever I was there, they would fight a lot. You know, it, it put a lot of stress on their marriage for a long time. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything, you know, I was just there. It wasn't like you were getting into trouble. You just existed and that was creating tension for her. I mean, I always got into trouble, but I was smart enough to never get caught. So, you know, I was, yeah, right. (laughs) But, um, so kind of lost my train of thought. So I, I I told him I, I would never, never let him forget how she treated me. But then I sat him down a couple years ago. I went to visit him. He lives in uh, Houston, Texas now. I went to visit visit him for uh, nine days. And she and my younger sister were both in Germany visiting her family. So I had my dad for nine days straight. It was just me and my dad. And I've never had that. My entire life, it's never just been my dad and I for a very long period of time. Um, so we got to, you know drink good booze and relax by the pool and 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 really hash some shit out and he's and we we got on the topic of me live growing up here and he said well you always had a choice and I said I always had a choice yeah but you you don't know why I never made the choice besides my stepmom my mom obviously wasn't involved in my life uh my mom's dad passed away when I was 10 um I watched him die, which was really fucking tragic when I was a kid because that was my dad. Yeah. You know, I have I have two dads and I have one mom and that's my grandma. My mom is not my mom. That's Amy. Um but my aunt, who's my mom's oldest sibling, she filled that mom role for me whenever my grandma couldn't. You know, I I bounced around from my grandma's house to my aunt's house back and forth. My aunt never had kids. So my one of my sisters and I were her kids, you know, because my mom obviously wasn't going to raise us. Um, and my grandma's old, so, you know, you don't want to put... My aunt wanted to help and didn't want to put all that on her, and then having us would be like having kids, you know? So if I would have left, it would have left my aunt and my grandma by themselves, 
you know, they wouldn't have had, after my grandpa passed away, my uncle, um, you know, he was the only testosterone around, you know, everything kind of, my grandpa was a wonderful man, very respected in the community, could make gold out of anything, but he was very bad at managing money. So when he passed away, you know, he crippled our family just yeah, by not there being was there anymore. In plan. Um, so that all all of that weight fell on my on my uncle's shoulders, and it wasn't his responsibility. And he and he stepped up and did a lot. But um, if I would have if I would have left, it would have just been my aunt and my grandma, and then they would have they wouldn't have had anybody to take care of. You know, and that that's they, that's why I always stayed here, and I've you always felt hated an it obligation here. to them to keep them together, because without you, it all could have fallen apart very right. easily. Well, and and they they raised me when they didn't have to; it wasn't their responsibility. So, um, you know, when I got out of, when I got out of high school, my plan was to enlist in the military and go down the same path that my dad did. And most of the men in my family have, and I was going to have a long career and retire when I was 40 and smoke cigars and drink beer and, you know, be retired. And then uh, right when I got out of high school, my grandma got really sick. My younger sister got really, really sick, almost died. So I I decided to put my college aspirations on hold, my military aspirations on hold, and go to work so I could help take care of them. Um, yeah, when, when I was getting ready to grad, well, my senior year in high school, my sister just started losing weight all of a sudden and I figured, oh shit, Chloe's going through puberty. You know, she's, you know, she's a teenager. And then, uh, one day my aunt called me and said, well, Chloe's in the emergency room. Well, what's wrong with her? Well, they don't know. And then, you know, later on we found out that my sister had uh, juvenile diabetes. So Whoa. just overnight became a type 1 diabetes. Well, not overnight, but, you know, none of the doctors had ever noticed any of the signs, never had any, you know, not even No inclination idea. that it was coming. Right. So, um, and then fast forward a couple years later, she's also got a, a rare genetic blood clotting disorder that only like 1% of the entire world's population has. So it, she like, almost it, died it's from that It's extremely clots. Do what? It, it like it has ex- the extreme tendency to clot. She, she's susceptible to blood clots often. And they're in her lungs. It's always in her lungs. So so she's got to be taking blood thinners constantly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. And on top of being a type one diabetic, you know. So, um, I've had nothing but good health, and my sisters had nothing but terrible health. Yeah, genetics are weird, man. They are really weird. It's, I mean, it's interesting to think about because you can never prepare for what your body is going to do before your body has prepared to do it. You know, right. it's just, it's going to happen. Like we're all on this path, and so, like some weird shit's going to happen to my body someday. My one of my balls will disappear or something. <laughs> you know, something strange like that, and I'll right. be like, oh god. You know, Case it's, of it's missing it's, nut. It's funny to laugh about, but it is the it is the truth of it, you know. I, my good friend Travis that I that I did the voice of survival with, you know that that is normally one conversation that I, I I just know we don't talk about death and you know the end of our lives and shit like that because he gets really down and 
and paranoid about it. And, you know, I say it now because I'm, I'm the big, tough teenager again. It's going to come for us all. It's a part of life. But, yeah. you know, as we get older, it's, it's fucking scary to think about. Like, it, it is. These vessels are temporary, man. Yep. They are temporary. Uh, me and uh, one of the guys I'm friends with around here uh, were talking recently, and he was like, I feel like it's it only makes sense that that our like the essence, the human spirit is being harvested from our from this vessel because energy is only ever created, it can't be destroyed. Right. So what would the purpose of our bodies be? And I feel like if that idea is true, it's like everything you're doing, everything I'm I'm doing are quote-unquote karma points are building our overall essence so that energy when it's released does something i don't know what the fuck it does goes to the sun it makes us last for a billion years who the fuck knows but um to speak on that episode you did with travis man that 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 episode got me i'm i mean and i'm sure it was hard for you to listen to that while you were talking to him because you are also very close to your father and Mm -hmm. his story is just like extraordinarily tragic yep you know, extraordinarily. So it's just like, um, well, and it, I, it, I, it it mirrors, you know, my my experience with my mom's dad because, and and I'll I'll tell that story right now because it's the perfect time to do it. So, when I was a kid, my mom's dad gave me everything. You know, I w- I was another one of his kids, and my mom's family is significant because, and and part of the reason why I. I have that mantra that no one will ever raise my kids but me. The trend in the James family is have a bunch of kids and then give them to somebody else to raise them. So my mom's dad was one of like six kids, I think. And he he, he was the only one that stuck by his parents and wasn't in trouble all the time and... You know, he, he was he was the responsible one. He took care of people. And so all of his brothers, he raised all of their kids. His sisters, he raised their kids. Damn. Um, and then my mom's mom, most of her family was killed in a car accident when she was uh, really little. So she was also, like, overly anxious about taking care of people all the time because she lost most of her family. Um, so yeah, they yeah. raised like 40 kids, you know, not including wow, their own crazy. children. Those so, are nieces and nephews. Yeah. Jesus. So when I, when I showed up, it was like, you know, it was just, it fit right in. Here's just another one we got to handle. Yep. But I, I was, I was special because I was their, you know, I was their grandkid. So I was special. First but, grandkid? Uh, Yeah. Okay, I, so yeah, you definitely have that like that special rite of passage. Right. Yeah, I, I'm the oldest, and I was the you know my 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 middle sister was born shortly before my grandpa passed away. So I think she was four years old when he passed away. So like Something old enough like to that. remember, but yeah, she not she remembers it really but, like. And, it, and it's it's sad when when her and I get together and talk about him because I got ten years, and she didn't get to do all the shit with him that I did, you know. And it, it's it's hard on her because my grandpa was a cool ass dude. He gave me anything and everything that I could have ever wanted for, and took me everywhere. You know, he he owned all. You know, he owned multiple construction companies. 
And we would get up, he would get me up for school in the morning, and he would say, you want to go to school today? No. All right, get in the truck. You're going to work with me. And, you know, I, he, awesome. he was just a badass dude, you know. Never pressured me to do anything, but he taught me everything, you know. Totally. Um, never wanted me to call him Grandpa. It was Papa or Bob, you know. Um, But anyway, so... We were big involved in livestock, and I was pretty much all the way up until I started my first major career in life. But I begged him and begged him and begged him to saddle this pony that I had for me. And he didn't want to, and I kept begging him, and I kept begging him, and I kept begging him. And he did, and I rode that horse for like 10 minutes. And I said, all right, I'm done, and I made him do everything, put the horse away. My grandma was fixing dinner, so we walked back down to the barn, and and we ate, and he's like, I I don't feel good. I'm not going to eat, and then he went and sat down on the couch, you know, and I'm just inhaling my food, stuffing my face. Oh, yeah. And I look in the living room, and my uncle is in there, and he yells to my grandma to call an ambulance, and I hear my grandpa say, I think I'm having a heart attack, and he'd already had two. Oh, So my grandpa had a heart attack when he was really young, and... Decided to quit smoking, and then he had a another heart attack in his forties, or in his in his late forties, and then he decided to get healthy and lose a bunch of weight, and then uh, that night he was sixty seven. He passed away on the living room floor, oh, and man. and for a long time, I blamed myself for it because I made him do all that shit right before he had a heart attack. So it was like I was the straw that broke the camel's back. But that for a long you know, I it's still really tough. I, Easy I don't to mind put ta- that guilt on yourself as a kid though. Yeah. I, I don't mean, mind ta- I don't mind talking about it because I've uh I've accepted the fact that it wasn't my fault, you know, it was just it was his time to go. You know, when when your when your heart has already failed twice. You know, it's it's statistically rare for you to come back after a third one, you know. There's people that do yeah. it, but that's not normal. Um, but I, wa- I basically watched my dad die, you know, on my living room, in my living room floor. So that was, I, I, I didn't go to school, I think, for almost three months. That's and fucking I, traumatic, right? genuinely. And I remember, I remember there were kids at school that were talking shit about me. Well, he's just staying home so he doesn't have to go to school, and it's like, I look back and think about it now, and it's like, we are a shit fucking species. You know, yeah, we are. We are a No t- compassion. The best fucking thing that could happen to this planet is if our species was eradicated from the Earth. <laughs> Very you know, I love Ultron being alive. I love having kids and procreating and doing all that shit, but the best thing that could happen to us, or happen to the Earth, is if we were just gone. We're pretty awful things. Yep. But compassionless. We can be- I think that's the one lesson I always say is I want to just I just want the world to learn compassion. If you can see other people's viewpoints, it helps you to appreciate everyone's viewpoints, and then you can understand the bigger picture. I right. think. Well, you have to be you have to be willing to look at other people's viewpoints to start with. I think that's the biggest problem. You know, because if if you and I, you know, as different as we as we are in in uh, or how how much differing our views are. If you and I sat down on a sat down in a room and we weren't allowed to leave that room until, you know, we saw the bigger picture of each other's lives and opinions, for us it wouldn't take very long. 
But for most I give people, us 25 minutes. Right. But for most people, <laughs> it would take days and days and days. And it goes back to what I said. You cannot change someone's beliefs. Wait a minute. Time out. Back up. If we're going to sit in a room and we can't leave until we hash out the bigger picture, are we going to record it as a podcast? Because if that's the case, we need to go at least an hour and a half just so it's awesome. Probably. And we're both going to be stoned, too. Okay. okay I'm into that. Yes. Please. Right. Let's do that. Yeah. I, that's I, like the perfect scenario. I really wish I could, man. Because I know. It, it helps my anxiety so much, and, and it's fucked up that we can't have a plant. Well, you know what's interesting that you say that is uh, I just read today, very important because of where you live currently. I'm not in your state. I'm a state over here in Illinois right now where you know medical is legal, and they're on the way to fully recreationalizing, so it's not really that big of a deal. But apparently Canada legalizing recreationally is going to fast-track Indiana to, as being one of the next states. Why, why is that tied together? You know, I had the article up to read on the show because I was going to ask you what your opinion was on it, and I'm not sure if my phone saved it. Let me see. It was on the normal Facebook page. Well, while you're looking for it, I'll just go ahead and lay my opinion out. Sure, the, continue on. The The benefits are, you know, infinite for for marijuana, you know. The issue lies in it would hurt the tobacco companies and it would hurt the textile companies and it would hurt the paper manufacturing companies. That's where all the issues are. You know, there, there's there's really only two negatives to using marijuana. In men, it slightly lowers sperm count and you get a little bit of smoke in your lungs, which is not good. But you don't have to use it that way. No, you can, you can do you it can in a whole bunch of different it. ways. You can fucking rub it into your eyeballs. You can do it however you want. Uh, you can refine it down to where it's literally just liquid THC and fucking do it that way, and you're still getting all the same good shit. Um, but what what boggles my mind, you know, obviously, like I said, I support it. What boggles my mind is we as a society are trusted to recre- recreationally use an extremely addictive substance, and alcohol, oh, outside yes. of our working hours. But we are not trusted to use something that is not addictive outside of our working hours, our time. So I have this big heart on uh, with the modern workforce and industry where, <clears throat> say, like it's, uh, Subaru is the perfect example. When you hire in at Subaru, you're told, plan for every day to be a 10-hour day and you'll never miss an appointment or anything that you're doing. And that and that and that that's a good good motto to have because you can you can't work any more than 10 hours unless you volunteer for it um i'm sorry but mr mr fuji at subaru anything after 10 hours that's my time hell yeah 10 hours and 30 seconds that 30 seconds is my time that's 30 seconds cutting into my time um so no one in my opinion no one on this earth has the right to tell me what to do besides me anyway with your time. But especially with my time. Time is something that's very important to me, and it's why I have the opinions that I do about teachers and how they're overpaid because of the time that they have. We, we only have a finite amount of time. Money is an imaginary thing. It's, it's an imaginary concept. It, it holds no value. Truly, holds no value. The American dollar means nothing. So all if you're going to tell me, nothing. do what? I said all currency means nothing. Gold, 
I'll 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 pick out gold specifically. Gold is like the best electrical conductor on earth. Fact. So, so gold to me has value. Silver and copper and platinum and palladium and all that shit. That to me has value because it's something that can actually be used. The cotton banknotes that we have that are green and and have a bunch of strippers ass cocaine on them have no fucking value at all because it's an imaginary thing. All of the stripper ass cocaine. Right. You're right, too. It's gross. Right. Don't lick a dollar. No, hell no. You might get HPV from that dollar. That's right. Um, <laughs> but uh, so time time is uh, is so much more important to me than money. That's why I left my previous job. You know, Pre- it, d- does Subaru count as previous? Uh, prior to Subaru. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Which we're gonna get there too. Okay. So real quick before we leave the topic of cannabis and uh, what's been going on, this is the article I found it. So now that the Canadian Senate has approved legislation of marijuana for recreational use, uh, State Representative Jim Lucas, he's actually a Republican out of Seymour, believes it will expedite the process on lawmakers legalizing it in Indiana. I would hate like hell to think that we're basing our freedom and laws off of Canada, but you have a country that's just north of us leading the way on an issue that so many Americans are overwhelmingly in favor of. He just said that uh, Canadians are the canary in the coal mine. When you look within your own country, we have 29 states that have medicinal marijuana and nine with recreational. Uh, It's coming our way. This is something that is going to happen. So he's going to push for that shit to happen. Cool. It's it's something that it it needs to happen. You know, we we need... The end of the war on drugs? Man, the the war on drugs is something that, that... Whole nother podcast? Should we save that one? I, I could dedicate an entire podcast to that because I've voiced my my opinions on uh, our war on terrorism right now. We are in Afghanistan for one reason. That is to control the opium trade. Oil. Oh, opium. Yeah, you're right. Opium yeah. is the biggest one. Afghanistan is the number one producer of opium in the world. They they eclipse all of Asia, which is a, is, is a marvel. To I'm just curious, in America, just can you answer me this question? In America, what's the leading like cause of death per drug overdose? Isn't it opium? Yes. Isn't that the most fucked up thing? Right. We're sending American soldiers to fight and possibly die for a substance that is ultimately going to kill American citizens. But it makes money. That that's fuck the, capitalism. That's, it, see, that's the that's the fucking bad thing about capitalism, man. All we care about is money, you know. And I, I just don't like isms. Period. You know, I'm not a big. You're fan an of ist isms. kind of person. Yes. Um, but so we're there to control the opium trade because we we control the war on drugs. We finance it. We fuel it. Yada yada. On so on and so forth. Um. But we also have the largest pharmaceutical industry in the world. We have the the highest population of people uh, dependent on the pharmaceutical industry in the world. Um, we have to have it. That's why we went there. Yeah. The oil you- and uh, I think they have, I think they have like a huge lithium reserve. I think Afghanistan. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Afghanistan. Thank you. I think Afghanistan has an enormous lithium deposit somewhere 
out there Makes in the sense. desert full of shit. But um, the the opium is is the important part of it. We don't give a shit about the resources. Those are just a bonus. We're there for the opium. Okay, so back at it. Uh, let's see where were we at in your journey. Okay, your your grandfather Bob's passing mm-hmm. is a traumatic experience. Yep. And there's something that, okay, at at 13, it wasn't the same. I'm not, this is not the Peter Quill comparing dicks and what tragedies we've had. Right. But um, at 13, I know that experiencing death in my family by my uncle being killed by a drunk driver, it was extremely traumatic to me. And to this day, I have PTSD stuff from that where I am affected by the littlest thing can set me off, you know? Mm-hmm. Long term, now that you're an adult and you've you've lived actually more of your life without him than with him, are those long terms for you still there? Because I feel like you were, I mean, being at the heart of that situation, being right there, on like in it, you were in the fucking thick of it, watching it go down. It's got to be impossible, right? I mean, there, there, it's it's an impossible thing to escape. I can't even imagine how you did it. Um. So, it's kind of corny, but, like, there's been a couple movies in the last decade where people talk about loss, and they say, well, I can't remember their face. You know, it's, it's a corny thing from a movie, but for a long time, I think I just repressed it all. You know, when I, pretty much from that time forward... I was just an asshole. I didn't give a shit about anything. Um, You know, I carried that anger from my mom and my dad not raising me and everything that was going on in my life, losing him, um, troubles at school, you know. Excuse me. I carried all of that forward into high school and then after high school, I was just a terrible fucking person to be around. I was a fun person to be around. But if you didn't fit into my status quo, I shit on you. You know, I my dad my dad says that our family has this ability to hurt people's feelings forever. And I fucking did. That's awesome. I you know, yeah. I was I was the Billy Madison uh Amazing reference. But you know, you know, when he becomes an adult, he starts checking people off of his list that he reconciles yep. with and and admits to being a shithead and I I had to do that a couple years ago. I had to reach out to some people because, you know, though there was a lot of people that I was very kind to and I I was very uh, supportive of when other people weren't, I was a fucking dickhead to everybody all the time. And that's part of the reason I did organized sports because I could could let out a little bit of that frustration in a organized manner. And And not competitive manner. Yeah, competitive, yeah. Um... It it was tackling fuel, as Bobby Boucher would say. Um, yes. Oh my God! You with these Adam Sandler movie drops. Yeah. This is amazing. Two for two, Water Boy. I was a teenager, yes. man. That's. I was ready for the chlorophyll, but. Um, so yeah, I, I I was just anger. That that's what it that's what it did to me for a long time, and. I mean, you can ask my wife right now, up until about a year and a half ago, I was a fucking terrible person to live with because any little thing at all that didn't go my way would just, I mean, it was like dropping a, a nuke on somebody. I would it just definitely, explode. It was, it was just pure you, rage all the time. 
uh, I think that that is definitely repressed and bottled up things that you probably are learning as an adult to deal with Mm -hmm. things you're having to come to grips with as you grow older. And there's all, as we were discussing off air, there's only so much time, time is limited. Mm -hmm. So you have to just like kind of prioritize, okay, I've got to get my shit in order. So I'm not feeling this way constantly. It's interesting because I feel like I know we aren't that far in your journey yet, but I feel like in some ways podcasting has helped you break away from that as well. A little like bit, beca- kind of. A little bit because I, I always have something to say about everything. You know that as well as anybody that does that listens or watches the show. Um, I can talk about anything and everything all day long. I love I love to speak, and it's not that I like to hear myself speak. I like being the guy that doesn't have the popular opinion. You know, especially yeah. with nerd culture, I'm normally the guy with the incredibly unpopular opinion. But I always have I always have reasons to justify it. And I'm that way specifically because of one person. There was a guy that I worked with at Tate and Lyle. He was kind of my mentor. And I'm still friends with him today. I'm actually going to hang out with him on Sunday. But uh, he told me very early on in my career there that we all justify what we do. And he would tell me that whenever I would get mad about something or, you know, he was always the guy that I would vent to or go to for advice. And he would always start with, we all justify what we do. That doesn't make it right or wrong, but we all justify it. And it took me a long time to really buy into that. But something as simple as that is we all justify what we do. Okay, that's that's a pretty cut and dry statement. But... If you think about it, it's like, think about all the decisions that you make every single day that without even thinking about it, you justify it. You just make the decision. You know, I'm going to drive an extra mile and then put gas in my truck instead of stopping right here where I should and just put gas in it. That's something that's fucking weird. I did that today. It's incredibly trivial to think about. But I mean, that that's the perfect example. Like, oh, I'll just do I'll do this in a minute. You justify it. You don't even know why you're justifying it, but you just do without doing it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Voice of Survival Season 3, Episode 10, Best of Survival Part 3, featuring three of the network elite four. I have been your host, Nate. As always, you guys can check out the Voice Survival Podcast on the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com or go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, There's a Fucking Mower, many others. I can't believe that mower is so loud. That's crazy. You guys are definitely going to be hearing that because that guy had to mow right this second during the end of the podcast. That's crazy loud. Insane. Anyways, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I have been your host, Nate. We will see you guys later. Later.